Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your 2023 WWE Night of Champions Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are just days away from WWE's first premium live event since Backlash as the company continues its stretch of special shows outside the continental United States. The Silver King is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be along momentarily as we break down everything that happened on WWE television this week and, of course, bring you that ultimate preview of WWE Night of Champions. We have a loaded show, as we always seem to have here around these parts at Getting Over, so allow me to kick things off right off the top with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. They are so helpful for the show that every time we get one, we read it live right here on the program. And we did get a new one, a five-star review from Brad Sutton PR. Great pod. This is my go-to pod for wrestling news, a must listen. Short, sweet, and to the point, Brad, we acknowledge you and appreciate that five-star review. Oh, hey, I know Brad. He uh, he works here in Dallas at uh, SMU. Uh, love working with him. Appreciate the, the comment, Brad. So that's a friendly five-star review, but we'll nevertheless take it, Brad, and we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Speaking of acknowledgements, I hope you guys also remember. I happen to love the number five. Because we do have a Patreon-like service, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, where you can become an official getting overhead for $5 a month. You get bonus audio four shows a week, as well as news posts from yours truly, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. We had two new members this week, so I would love to welcome Gabe C. and Giancarlo G. to the fold as the newest official getting overheads, and we acknowledge you as well. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that good stuff, but this is not just a singular, but a triple premium live event pay-per-view week, which means you are getting live shows on Twitter spaces. You also get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls for WWE United Champions, NXT Battleground, and AEW Double or Nothing. That's six polls coming to the podcast account at Getting Over Cats. So again, please follow us over there and we will get you involved in that entire process. And of course, you get to listen to those free audios as well on Twitter spaces. Let's just do it one more time at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome to the show. You already spoke a little bit, but this is your official welcome in. And I got to say, I am kind of pumped for WWE United Champions. I mean, I think we have a similar mindset when it comes to these Blood Money in the Sand shows where it's like, we don't like WWE's contract with Saudi Arabia. We wish these shows weren't happening over there. But at the same time, they do have legitimate fans. They seem to love it when WWE comes. And more importantly for us as an audience viewing the product, these shows are no longer being treated as like the Super Showdown Crown Jewel type of shows where they just throw legends on and they give us a crappy product. 
and it interferes with the day-to-day storytelling that we get across Raw and SmackDown. These are now part of the premium live event calendar. And the last few of these have been damn good shows. So coming into Night of Champions, I may not like the politics of the entire thing, but from a card standpoint, the seven matches that we're going to break down later, it is extremely strong. Yeah, you know, we don't like the Saudi shows, but if you're going to do them, at least if we're going to watch them, if you're going to involve them on your TV, it make them matter, make them part of the normal storyline. And, and that's what they did. And frankly, I feel like we should be calling this one uh, Afternoon of Champions or something like that based on when right. we're watching it. Uh, it's true. <laughs> here in America this weekend. But it is a jam-packed wrestling week, wrestling weekend. And uh, yeah, pretty good card. Afternoon of champions. I would actually say it's too much. I I mean, we love wrestling. Okay. But for us being podcasters, doing this show, still having our lives and our jobs and everything, you know, three shows is too much. You can blame WWE for putting battleground on Sunday also, but even just having both of these shows on the same weekend, a WWE and an AEW pay-per-view, it's just, man, it's a lot. It really is. Now we have a large show here Uh, as noted, very deep, plenty of stuff to get into. We have the main event. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have your WWE Night of Champions Ultimate Preview, and we will have a double last word to end the show. A reminder for anyone who may be listening to this podcast closer to Night of Champions, the end of the week, perhaps even Saturday morning. We have timestamps in our episode descriptions. So if you need to jump all the way down to the Ultimate Preview, you can do that. But we're also going to talk about every single thing that happened across Raw and SmackDown on this show. And Chris, this was the first time in a while that I felt that Raw consistently improved as the show advanced. It was probably in large part because the Hershey crowd was crap. It, it, not as poor as we've gotten at some shows recently that we've heavily criticized, but certainly not good and definitely not great. But at least WWE, they didn't sweeten the noise with any fake audio. So credit to the crowd for actually booing Brock Lesnar and Trish Stratus, which made that not necessary. SmackDown for me on Friday was the better show. But I thought this week's episodes, SmackDown and Raw, and you did not really get a chance last week to go through the details of both shows. But last week, I thought it was banner television from WWE. SmackDown and Raw, I thought they knocked it out of the park. This week, for what are basically the go-home shows, I did think it was a step down. Yeah, they they just, they felt like they lacked the intensity for a go-home. And look, they addressed a lot of the stuff. They previewed, hey, this is coming Saturday, but just, you know, maybe it was that crowd. I I thought there was some, the fake crowd noise continues to be piped in here or there. Maybe we don't know for sure, but. I didn't hear it. Yeah, just kind of. Wait, 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 wait. I didn't hear it on Monday at all. I didn't, I didn't write it down, but there were a couple of times where I was like, yeah, it it, it rose and then fell very quickly to the point where I was like, ah, that seemed kind of weird, but Either way, we know they've been doing it here and there. Anyway, I think you're right that the crowd was was a factor in it. There, there was, I think the Cody Brock stuff didn't quite hit. We'll get into a lot of it. But yeah, like they tried. I just feel like it didn't maybe hit as well as it did the previous week. Yeah. And, and this is technically a B-level pay-per-view. I know we've it's it's a bunch of title matches and everything. But um, for kind of what you expected, didn't didn't quite hit at the level you'd like. Yeah, there were certain matches in particular that were not built to the level that I hoped they would be. And the final SmackDown is a taped show. So it already happened. I did not read the spoilers. So nothing there is really, you know, um, important enough, I have to assume, or else it would probably have gotten into my view somehow. 
So, you know, whenever they do the taped go-home shows, they're rather formulaic. Backstage segments that kind of lead into the bigger main events and then matches that don't necessarily have that much to do with the premium live event itself. So I don't think much is happening on SmackDown uh, this coming Friday, but I even if some stuff does happen, it's not going to suddenly turn my excitement for the show into, you know, from a seven to a nine or, you know, whatever the case it might be. So anyway, we have a large show. Like I said, plenty to get to today. Let's kick things off as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. And, you know, thanks to this being an ultimate preview episode, this is the first time in a long time that our main event does not involve the bloodline, which is very exciting. However, it also involves awful news because the straight up cursed WWE Women's Tag Team Championships have been vacated again as Liv Morgan was ruled out indefinitely with what looked to be an injury to her upper body, collarbone, shoulder, jaw. We have no information on it right now. There will be a fatal four-way held on Raw next week with Raquel Rodriguez finding a partner against Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, Bailey and Io Sky, and Sonya Deville and Chelsea Green. Rodriguez went to cut a promo about Morgan being irreplaceable on SmackDown when Bailey and Io walked up announcing that Dakota Kai was also out indefinitely with an even worse injury. Bailey bumped Io, who again gave her a dirty look. First of all, fuck. <laughs> like, this sucks. Straight up. These titles yeah. are cursed. And how odd is it that the last time they were vacated was May 20th? 2022, only for them to be vacated 364 days, one day shy of a year later, on May 19th, 2023. Of course, last time was when Sasha Banks and Naomi walked out as the champions. Now, I'm obviously upset that Liv is out. She's been rolling, continuing to gain popularity, improving in the ring. Her arrow was pointing way, way, way up. But I'm also devastated for Dakota. Because it looked like another knee injury for her, and it was confirmed, at least according to Wrestling Observer Newsletter, that she did indeed tear her ACL, which she last tore in 2019. And two tears of one ACL. Hey, modern medicine's different these days. That used to be a career ender. No longer the case, but it could be a very long recovery for her. It's a really shitty situation top to bottom. Shout out to Bailey for wearing that shirt that was dedicated to Dakota. It was a damage control shirt, but all three of the pictures were Dakota. That was really sweet. And last, in terms of the booking, you know, it's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with a SmackDown team being in a cross-brand title match. The right teams are involved. It's nice that Raquel gets to find a new partner. My initial thought is that it would be Tegan Knox, who hasn't been seen, and she's now a Raw superstar. But as we found out Monday, she chose Shotzi, which works, but they're on different brands, so... It's either not long-term, they're moving Shotzi over, they're ignoring the brand split, something's happening there. It's a shitty situation. Exceptions can be made. I'd have loved for Caden Carter and Katana Chance to be in the match, but they haven't even debuted yet. I would have loved Unholy Union to be in the match as the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, but they're not, and that's okay. I don't, you know, it's just a shitty situation top to bottom. I wanted to bring it up here. Get your overall thoughts and your take on what's going to happen. I mean, not only that, speaking of the curse around the belts and people who have had them, uh, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet may have been injured. Oh, yeah. She may have broken her ankle. Yeah. 
Yeah, so just really tough set of injuries, potential injuries in the women's division. And yeah, just these titles are, they're just, they're cursed, man. Like they've, they really have, there have been times where they didn't try at all with the belts. And then there have been times when they did try. And when they did try, things seem to just go wrong. Sasha and Naomi leave. Liv gets hurt. We've had injuries before. Uh, Just, ah, you know, like we were wondering, you know, we thought uh, Ronda and um, Shayna would would win the belts some based on how long they've been together sometime soon. But it seems like Ronda had been banged up a bit. And that might have been a reason why it hadn't happened yet either. So, uh, you know, Car- Carmella, you know, that's not a sad thing. She's pregnant, but they had a good tag team going that had to switch yeah. as well. Well, just women's tag team wrestling is just, they've been trying and it's just things have just bounced the wrong way and really sucks for Dakota Kai with everything she's been through. And just, yeah, man, you just, you feel for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, just going back to WrestleMania, Originally, the plan, one of the reasons why, not one of the reasons, the reason why Ronda Rousey dropped her SmackDown Women's Championship to Charlotte Flair so suddenly when Charlotte returned, I think it was on the last SmackDown of 2022. One of the reasons that happened was because the plan was for Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler to win the women's tag team titles at WrestleMania. Then, because of injury to Ronda and other things, it got pushed where that wasn't going to be a signature match, but they were going to challenge Becky Lynch and Lita, who had just won the titles from Damage Control, on night two of WrestleMania. Except that couldn't happen either. So then it got pushed even further. They had Liv Morgan uh, and Raquel Rodriguez win the titles. And now they got hurt. Liv, of course, getting hurt in this situation. And here we are. Let's not forget, Damage Control has literally been in the middle of running a breakup storyline, which is the most interesting that they've been in a long-ass time. It's finally all working. EO got single spotlight. Dakota and Bailey in the tag team match that we were talking about, that I was talking about, they were great. That was a fantastic match on SmackDown a couple weeks ago. She's hurt, uh, Dakota being. So, like, the tag teams are falling apart. The titles are falling apart. The plans for the division are falling apart. They actually did have solid plans for the women's tag team division. They were booking it up. And it's just all for naught at this point. Now, we have Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler seemingly healthy. They returned last week. They are in this match. There's every reason in the world to believe they're going to be able to reset the booking to whatever level they can and have them win the titles next Monday on Raw. But the question then is, where do you go? Because these teams, like Sonya Deville and Chelsea, they're a great team. They work really well together. They're heels. Bailey and Io are breaking up at some point sooner than later. And by the way, they're also heels. We know Ronda and Shayna are heels. The babyface team of Rodriguez and Morgan are split. So maybe you get Raquel and Shotzi. Unholy Union, the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions, are heels. And Casey, uh, I almost called her Casey uh, Catanzaro again, uh, Katana Chance and Caden Carter, they're babyfaces. They haven't even shown up on TV yet. So it's like they actually have teams, but they're uneven. They're split across brands, and I just have no idea what they're going to do. I wonder if this is a spot where maybe you just put two belts on Bianca or something like Bianca and Raquel Rodriguez would be kind of a hell of a team if you think about it. Or heaven forbid you just take the title off Bianca Belair, the singles title. Yes. I mean, obviously you do that, but I'm thinking like 
as a as a short term fix. Rodriguez and, and Bianca together, you know, power just the power between the two of them would be a lot of fun, and they'd be faces. They'd have a lot of heels to go up against, and you know, it's not ideal. But I don't know if there is an ideal fix in this situation. No, I think I think the larger point is taking other women and. Figuring things out and getting them in a team makes sense. I mean, they're they're doing the Candice LeRae storyline with Nikki Cross, but Indy Hartwell is literally her friend and quote unquote family member in the way. Now, now Indy may not be cleared, but that's a babyface women's tag team you could use. Except you're beating Candice every single week, and she looks like a jobber. So there's just a lot of issues here. What you what you say? And and and, and nobody nobody cares about them on the main roster. They've Candace given no or reason. Hartwell or whatever, like they're, they're so low on the, they're so low on the totem pole on the main roster right now. Yeah, they've given no reason for us to care about them. Again, they did it again Monday night and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But okay, that's the main event. A quick one this week. We still have a ton to get to the good, the bad and the ugly. And of course, the WWE Night of Champions Ultimate Preview. Let's go to segment number two. You know it, you love it. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade, it just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some Shorty. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in them articles that I read. All right, this is the good, the bad, and the ugly. For any first-time listeners, we break down a ton of segments from WWE TV, and guess what? We grade them. Good. Bad or ugly. So we'll start with Shinsuke Nakamura and Finn Balor. Byron Saxton went up to interview Balor when Damian Priest got really angry and ranted at him in Spanish. Balor talked about standing up for Priest against Nakamura's disrespect. That happened last week after Raw. Uh, then we got to the match. So Nakamura hit a sliding powerbomb, taunted Priest outside as he went on a run. Balor hit a sling blade, but Shinsuke countered the shotgun dropkick. Balor then countered Kinshasa with a standing double stomp, but Nakamura avoided coup de gras and hit Kinshasa to the back of his head for no cover. Priest saved Balor outside, with Nakamura getting distracted by beating him over the barricade. Balor caught him from behind with an awesome shotgun dropkick into the barricade. Then he rolled him inside for coup de gras to get the win in 11 minutes. This was probably the best match on Raw and one of the best of the entire week. But while it sat in third gear for a while, it never hit fourth gear due to the distraction and the relatively short runtime. This was the first time that Balor and Nakamura have fought since 2019. And this was Balor's first ever win over Nakamura, WWE, New Japan, anything. It would have been nice if that was promoted because they're trying to get Finn prominence here. They're trying to make him a legitimate single star again. So you need to mention that this is the first time he's beaten a longtime rival of his. I badly wanted to see this go 15 plus minutes, still good. And the excused loss for Shinsuke was important because both of these guys are really being built up right now. But I was left wanting more and double backing on it, thinking about it now, maybe that was on purpose. Maybe I was supposed to be left wanting more. Maybe. I mean, I mean, I, I give it a good for sure, but, but you're right. I kept thinking, I just couldn't have thinking like in some other promotion, this is like the biggest match in the world. <laughs> and we're just getting it on a raw. And it, these things kind of just get lost in the WWE machine sometimes. And there's so much you could do to build and promote this, just even on the show or have commentary do it more during the match. Um, it, it was good. It was just, it was part of a larger story when you kind of felt like it could have been its own story, but it was fine. It was solid. Yeah, you're right. It, it would be nice if it was built up to be this big match, whether for a mid-card title or just a main event of Raw, rather than just a match on the show. 
which it's better than. It, it, it's higher. It has a higher visibility than that. Uh, Apollo Crews fought Dominic Mysterio. Crews was hyped to be back on Raw when Dom and Rhea Ripley interrupted. Dom was obviously disrespectful with Apollo saying he's everything Dom's not. And then he interrupted them when Ripley was cutting a promo. We'll talk about that later. That led to a match. Fans chanted, we want mommy a few minutes into the match. Cruz took Dom down outside. The heels distracted. Ripley ran him into the post. Cruz beat the 10 count. But as he slid inside the ring, Dom caught him with a frog splash two thirds of the way across the ring for the win in six minutes. Now, it was an excused loss for Cruz and another big win for Dom. They're continuing to build him. It's a concerted effort. Very obvious. Better for Apollo to lose now, freshly returning, than after he had been built back up. I didn't love it given we got a couple of much better matches with Xavier Woods and Dom the last couple of weeks, and Woods attacked him in the main event last week, but they didn't follow up on that, which I thought was really strange. But it was a good look for Dom overall, so the intentions were good. The finish was well done. You know, I don't love six-minute matches for anyone, especially the men, which generally get more time than the women, but I'm going to side on the good with this. Agree. I, I give this a good. I like this pairing. Uh, you know, like, like just Dom's a bigger guy than you kind of think. And so just he, he can do a lot of different things. And Apollo Cruz is obviously incredibly talented and a lot of different things he can do. So uh, I, I like this. It felt fresh. It felt just different, like something, you know, that we don't see a ton of from time to time. So uh, I liked it. It was good. Uh, the Brawling Brutes fought pretty deadly. The heels cut a cooking themed tape promo introducing themselves and they got a really long extended slow-mo entrance with an augmented reality package the brutes had matching football kit jerseys which let me tell you if i was a european fan i would buy the hell out of those not just a european fan a big fan of the brawling brutes i would 100 buy that if it's available uh ridge holland wound up with kit wilson on his back so he squatted him and carried him all the way to the corner for a butch hot tag then ridge got both heels on his shoulders for a double toss off his back they each did uh, 10 beats for Sheamus, but Wilson ran Holland back into the corner where his head collided with Butch. Elton Prince, who was illegal but hung up in the ropes, unlocked himself with the referee distracted. They hit spilt milk on Holland. Then he ran himself back into the ropes and relocked his arms so the referee didn't notice as Wilson got the pinfall victory. This was a brilliant debut for Pretty Deadly. Everything you could want from a first appearance. They showcase their charisma, their personality, the in-ring skill, the cunning, the heel antics. Even their remix theme was actually an improvement. And we never say that. Like, the remix themes are always worse. This was not. It was a great match. Holland was the surprising MVP, given the talent of the other three guys in the ring. He's really come on. I'm glad they kept the Brutes together. It's great to see Deadly up on the main roster. We talked about wanting this for so long. And guess what? We finally got it. Was this good? Yes, boy, it was good. You bet your ass it was good. That was a good one, yeah. yeah. We we might need a yes boy drop on this. We show might or something like that. That that's that's it's a it's a really good. It's up there like it's up there with LA Knight's yeah as something you could see getting over really. He's like, yeah, no, this was a great debut. They 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 felt like a big deal. And there's a lot of times when people come up from NXT and you don't quite get that. Part of it's just them just their charisma and just kind of they they carry themselves like a big deal that comes across through the screen. You feel like you need to pay attention to them, even if they're kind of goofy and flamboyant or whatever. I love the name. You know, I, I was familiar with them in NXT and just having them up is great. This was a really strong debut. 
good marks all around. Also, the, the 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 soccer kit thing. I don't see it on the shop. I was looking for it. Hopefully, it gets up there at some point. That's a shame because they're really cool. They are. They're just all, they're just like the um the Cesaro and Sheamus the Bar uh, kits that they had the the jerseys. I think they ultimately mm-hmm. sold those, but it was a couple months before they did. And yeah. These are awesome from the Brawling Brutes. If you're a fan of theirs, I highly recommend trying to find it if they eventually I, ima- I imagine that I imagine that's a lot tougher of a to make for the shop. Like a t-shirt oh, yeah. is easy to spin out. Oh yeah, for sure. Probably tougher to do those. And more expensive too. I mean, it's a higher, you know, cost yes. item, no question about it. Uh Austin Theory cut a promo about being the world heavyweight champion had it not been for Bobby Lashley, who he said is obsessed with him and keeps following him from show to show, which is true. I mean, everywhere Theory goes, Lashley is somehow still in that picture. He said he didn't understand Sheamus's problem with him because they're so similar, except obviously Sheamus is old and he's young. So Sheamus came out and he feigned as if he was going to cut a promo. Instead, he just turned around and bro kicked his entire head off. I thought it was good mostly because it wasn't bad. Nothing special because there's no real deep storyline behind it. I think this is going to be one of those matches on SmackDown, a US title match on the go home that's taped. You know, I'm not overly excited about it. I expect Theory to win, but I liked what we got here. Yeah, it's interesting. And and I think it continues the sense of, and it's maybe we're just mentioning it out, but it's just like, we don't know what Austin Theory is and nobody takes him seriously. And that he's still the US champ. And there were those comments right. from John Cena recently that he basically told Theory, like, I don't believe you as a character. Mm-hmm. And I think that exactly has been the biggest issue for Theory. And still hasn't figured it out. I think he needs to lose the title at some point here to, to somebody, maybe it's Sheamus at some point. I, I I don't know, but you know, he comes out, welcome to Austin Theory Live. That's that ain't it, man. Austin Theory Live <laughs> is not gonna be your thing. So uh, I, I I don't know. And I think he just got punked again by Sheamus and maybe he needs to get punked a few times. I like, like I don't know. We'll see. I mean really the move with Theory is probably to have him lose the title and go on a downward spiral and maybe turn baby face yeah. even like he maybe needs to turn face because look, his future and ceiling is very high and bright. Okay. I transpose those Agreed. bright and high, um, but it's just not clicking right now. And this has happened before. Look, look at Roman Reigns. A large portion of his career just didn't click what they were trying to do. They have to figure out what they want Austin theory to be because what he is right now is just middling. It's, it's a heel, but not that hated a good wrestler, but not that great. You know what I mean? Much like, yeah. Much like Roman needed to turn heel for people to finally like, like him and respect him. I think the opposite may need to happen with theory, like turn him face, or at least he's trying to turn face and nobody's believing him. And you know, he helps people, he helps people and he is just a face. And then boom, out of nowhere, one day you get a swerve, he turns heel again and he's got juice again. So I don't know, but, you're right. Something like that needs to change. It could also be a tag team situation or where a baby face takes him under their wing and then eventually he turns on them, you know, six, nine months down the line. Like it's easy, this stuff, but got to figure out something to make him more believable and more detestable, whether that's now or whether that's six to nine months from now. Uh, the Street Profits fought Ellie Knight and Rick Boogs. Knight uh, cut off his entrance for a promo where he explained that he was seeking gold and could win with anybody explaining the partnership that was actually set up in an online segment last week, the whole thing with Boogs. Boogs, uh, in the match, pressed Montez Ford 10 times over his head. Then he curled Angelo Dawkins 10 times in his arms right in the center of the ring. He eventually ran into Knight, bouncing him off the apron. 
before Ford hit a tope and the faces combined for their finishing sequence with the frog splash leading to the one, two, three in just a few minutes. Knight helped Boogs uh, up to his feet after the bell, only to quickly hit him with the BFT to a round of boos from the crowd. We got, most importantly, what we've been begging to hear with Knight finally cutting a promo on his way to the ring. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. That's all we've wanted for weeks on weeks now. But the one thing he didn't deliver was yeah, which the entire crowd said like five different times during the segment because they wanted him to say it so bad and thought he was leading them to do it, but he never did. The match was too short for my taste, but it was really just a way to get Knight going again with like a temporary feud with Boogs clearly is what they're going to do. Still, Boogs was the only one who actually got to show off in the match, whereas Knight should have been featured just as much as him. So it was good, but it definitely could have been better. Yeah, it it, it was good. But I do I did wonder like you know, you're going to be you're turning heel here, the the crowd, you're turning on boogs. We want the crowd to not like you, so don't do the yeah. Like could that be a thing? Maybe. You know that they tell him not to do cuz he never he never doesn't do it. <laughs> When he's on the mic, it's his whole thing. It's his, it's his number one catchphrase. I know he didn't do it. And it was weird. Didn't do it. And so I'm a little worried. Not doing that is gonna is gonna pull back on him a little bit. Even if he's getting featured, even if he's got a feud with Boogs, we presume he'll go over. Uh, he'll be elevated. I just hope it's not at the expense of taking away the stuff that people like about him. Just because you want him to be a heel. Mm-hmm. So step in the right direction for sure. I'm, I'm, he, he also, he, he, well, he did cut a promo, uh, a digital only promo afterward. I saw it on Twitter, I think. Yes. And I think he did do the, yeah, he did. Um, but maybe it's a TV, TV thing. I don't know. My other thought on this is you're, you're mentioning Boogs being the only one to really shine in the match, man. What are the profits doing right now? They're just kind of floating around. Not much going on right now. What's weird is they're winning. So they're just floating around, but they keep winning. And <laughs> You know, yeah. the, the champions yeah. right now are baby faces on the other brand. And, and look, maybe maybe they're changing the titles and, and are I mean, we'll give our predictions later, of course, in the ultimate preview. But maybe they change the titles and they're making the street profits up to be that baby face team that can go against them right away on SmackDown. I don't see that. I don't think that's what's happening. I just think they're in a spot where it's like they're really talented. So they're putting them on TV, but they're not in the championship picture and they don't really have anything for them to do. But you know, what, what are they doing? They're feuding with LA Knight. That's what's happening. So I assume Knight and Boogs are going to have a match. Then Knight is going to find another opponent to go after the Profits, which is what he said in that promo that you were referencing. It's something that is keeping them busy, I guess, is the best way to put it. But I do have a belief, a strong one. Uh, and I've mentioned this on our uh, news post over at uh, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over that LA Knight's going to be in this Money in the Bank match. And there's a month until that. So really what they're doing more than anything else, probably wasting time until they get to those qualifiers. And and, and getting him some wins. I, like, I think he's going to win this feud and he needs that. Well, against Boogs, he needs to beat Boogs. I, I mean, the thing against the Profits, I have no idea what they're going to do, but yeah. we'll, we'll find out in the ensuing weeks. Uh, Unholy Union fought Ulisa Leon and Valentina Ferois in a non-title match. Now the Union is Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. They were announced by their names, not the team name, which just annoys me, but they were called the Women's Tag Team Champions for NXT, and they did have the titles. Uh, it was not mentioned that Leon and Ferois were also from NXT, 
Uh, the heels won with the gory bomb Russian leg sweep finishing move. Given the gimmick, I thought their entrance was a massive letdown. I thought they, it would have smoke and theatrics and all that stuff. The match was not long enough to get them over. It was only a couple of minutes. The presentation did them no favors. The title situation wasn't explained. So for me, that's 0 for 1, 0 for 2, 0 for 3. And that is a bad. Yeah, this whole thing was just kind of weird and random to me as someone who doesn't know them in NXT. Uh, wasn't really sold on any of them in this. And yeah, I give it a bad. All right. Uh, Ricochet fought Bronson Reed on Raw. Reed was suited up backstage, blaming Ricochet for his battle royal elimination. He shoulder tackled Rick into the barricade, running off the ring apron, only to eat a standing shooting star press and a springboard moonsault. Ricochet then countered a repeat shoulder tackle attempt outside with a pump knee, but Reed squashed him in the corner, then hit a ripcord power slam plus tsunami for the clean win in eight minutes. This was a great showing for Bronson against one of the top baby faces in the company. My only gripe is that it never reached third gear. I mentioned earlier about uh, Balor and Nakamura never hitting fourth gear. This never hit third gear, mostly due to time and commercials. And these guys, if given time, could put on an absolute show. But it was also like a first time ever match between them. And I have to assume there'll be more opportunities down the line. So it was good. Yeah, I think you tweeted, too, that they had never met before at any other previous promotion, which was um, notable. I didn't quite mm -hmm. realize that. Yeah, no. So so this was interesting. And, you know, ne again, never kind of got to that next gear, like you said. But I think there's something there. And both guys look good. So it was a light good. All right. Uh, Raquel Rodriguez fought Sonia Deville. Raquel hit her signatures in the Tahana Bomb to win in two minutes. The heels attacked two on one, so Shotzi made the save, hitting a really sick, actually, Tope Suicida through Raquel's legs to end the segment. Shotzi became the first wrestler to actually break the roster separation from the WWE draft because she was drafted to SmackDown, though I'm starting to wonder if maybe they just moved her to Raw because of Liv's injury. It is excusable, but at the same time, not because it wasn't explained. Later backstage, Shotzi said that she respected Raquel and had her back whenever she needed it. And for those who don't remember, they were a team before Raquel was a team with Liv. So it did make sense in that way. Now, I'm not going to let you in yet, Chris, because I also want to talk about Candice LeRae against Zoe Stark. Zoe got a promo package, kind of looking like a badass coming off a motorcycle into a gym. She promised fans that they will not like her because she's going to tear their favorites apart and expose them. So the match started. Nikki Cross ran down after one minute. Loray hit a really nice springboard splash outside. Cross hugged her to celebrate that move. That gave Stark an opening to run Loray into the steps and hit Z360 for the win in two minutes. Again, I just don't get the women's booking at all in either of these situations, but especially the second one. Hey, this booking stuff isn't easy, you know. Actually, Paul, in this case, it is easy. More time. Because this is inexcusable. Are they not trying to get these new women over? Like, what the fuck is Triple H doing here? This was a perfect finish to execute a loss for Candice. But you have two of the best in-ring talents in the company, and I'm being serious about that. They are that good in the ring, Candice and Zoe. And neither of them got any time to show the audience that they're actually talented. You gave this huge buildup for Zoe Stark, and then you give her no offense in the match. Candice LeRae is one of the best women's in-ring workers, like I said, in the entire company. And she's a babyface. Well, how is she going to get over? By showing what she can do in the ring. Neither of them were allowed. If you do that exact same finish after at least six, but really eight minutes, boom, solid segment. Both wrestlers look good. 
and you're actually building the women's division. If you let Raquel go six to eight minutes with Sonia, they are both seen as legitimate in the singles division, at least more so, despite both of them being tag teams. Instead, Raquel got a completely meaningless win over someone who loses all the time. And Stark, sure, she got a win, but it was completely pointless. Nothing was accomplished from it. She's a new superstar. She needs help to be legitimized. I'm just done with this at this point. For all the positives that Triple H has brought to creative, the women's division outside of the main event scene is in the shitter. And the main event scene, we can criticize some of the storytelling, but at least they get to wrestle. Everyone else doesn't get to wrestle. Four total minutes for two women's matches. That's not long enough for one match. What is this, Queen's Crown? Are we really back to that? Holy shit, this is a double ugly for me. This is for crap. This is bullshit, man. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Man, we got a four drop there. I don't think it's shit. Four drops for four minutes. That's why I did it. Four drops for four minutes. <laughs> it, yeah, man. Like, if you, if you, if you express through the booking that this doesn't matter because they get no time, then I'm not gonna care. Mm-hmm. And you, you can give Zoe Stark some good promos and, and and vignettes and stuff like that, but that goes away quickly. Like for for especially for the new people, even Candice LeRae, she's been around for a while. I couldn't tell you anything about her other than she's uh, Johnny Wrestling's wife, and, and like she she's barely ever gotten a, a time to shine either. And I know you know the, the the women's tag team threw a wrench into a lot of it, but like make a plan and try to execute that plan. Trying to do a bunch of little stuff like this just it does nothing, and it was just really a waste of time. And by the way, if you don't want to give them six to eight minutes like Candace, let's say, particularly every single week, fine. Give her 10 minutes one week and zero the next week. Tell a different story. Yes, exactly. Rotate. Do one story this week. Do the other story next week. Don't put them on screen if you're putting them on for two to four minutes because it's not accomplishing shit. And yeah, I know that the segment was longer than the two minutes bell to bell. Like we got entrances. There was backstage. There was the post match. I get all that. Okay. And I know that like Trish Stratus and Becky Lynch had a really long segment in the ring that other brands aren't giving you. I understand. I'm not saying the women in totality are being booked terribly. There there is some good stuff to chew on. And again, when you get to the premium live events and the matches, the title matches, you're getting bangers. So it's like positive, but you have an entire division. If there's no reason why Ricochet and Bronson Reed can get eight minutes and these women can't get five or six. At a minimum, we had three different two-minute women's matches this week. It's ridiculous. Nope, totally. I mean, this is something we've been on for a while, basically since Triple H took over the, the book. Well, it and really, it, it was bad. It, 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 it used to be bad back in the day, and then it got better. And then Queen's Crown happened, and that was just mm-hmm. disastrous. And then after that, it got better again for a little bit. With Triple H, I haven't really... I know there's been a couple of short matches, but they still, I think they were always four or five minutes. I really do believe that. This week, though, I was astounded that all of them were two minutes, except for one. Uh, Alpha Academy fought Viking Raiders. Maxine Dupree was with the Academy, and it really seems like she's completely gone for maximum male models now. Fans chanted for Otis and popped big on a hot tag with an easy body slam of Ivar. 
hit Caterpillar with Chad Gable tagging himself in. Uh, Otis was kind of woozy in the corner. Valhalla chased Maxine outside. That distracted Ivar and allowed Gable to catch Eric with an O'Connor roll into a bridge for the win in five minutes. Gable and Maxine showed respect for each other for the first time after the bell. And Maxine even did the thank you with the peace sign at the end of the match. A bit surprised that they've seemingly changed course with what they're doing here. The best compliment I can give here is I was very sports entertained by the segment. It was good. Yeah, like like instead of kind of the dragged out will they or won't they, they just picked a picked something and went with it. And like I could get behind that. I don't I, I love the male models. I wanted to do a whole drawn out story with that, but if they were not going to do that, just go all in with Maxine Dupree with them. Like and, and it worked. It was fun. And huge face cheers for Alpha Academy in this match, by the way. Like, some of the best on the entire show. Like, they were extremely over. So, like, maybe they just think this will work, the two of them and Maxine, and they'll just go ahead with that. Um, and if, if they do, I, I think it could work. Like, like we, we thought, how much longer is this team going to go? Are they going to break up? But still getting huge cheers, very over, and it's working. So, like... I don't have that much of an issue here. I'll, I'll give it a good. I mean, Beauty and the Beast storylines work in wrestling and always have. So, like, I understand what they're doing. But, like, Maximum Male Models were doing really good work. And Maxine was, were, a, was a part of that. And it's like, you know, Otis being a model was interesting. So I liked where they were going with it previously. I don't have a problem mm-hmm. with them changing course, but I'm surprised. No, totally. Yeah. I, I do. I don't know what has happened there. I like the story they were telling, even if even if it kind of was stuck in place for a while. But it it was different this week. Like they just went and did something. So yeah, maybe maybe that's, that's what it is. Yeah, and uh, also Cameron Grimes backstage cut a pure babyface promo, putting himself over for the quick win against Baron Corbin last week, and then he set up the to the moon catchphrase in a. Very heavy-handed manner to basically, hey, everyone, like, my catchphrase is coming, just so you know, on the main roster. I'm going bad here because it accomplished nothing. We didn't learn anything more about him or his character. No second match was set up. And he kind of came across like a dork, if I'm being honest. It was pointless. It wasted time. It could have gone to a match. Yeah, I thought this was bad. I'm, I'm torn because you're right. In that, I think the only point of it was to just make it clear, here's the catchphrase. <laughs> I know, so like, but man. If if that's all it was, like, <laughs> it accomplished that. Like, if that's what it was trying to do. So, like, I, I see what it was. But other than that, you're right. It was missed opportunity to do anything more. I'm going to give it a light good just because okay. I think that's all they want with Cameron Grimes right now is that is his character. And so, like, they did that. So fine. And lastly, no grade here, but just one other thing that happened. Indusher did get another package with Jinder Mahal walking through smoke like two weeks ago. It was short. Nothing was really said, but the visual of them, I think, still looks pretty cool. I continue to be cautiously optimistic about yeah. their uh, ability. I, I, I think more than anything, though, having unified tag team champions just puts a cloud over every tag team that's not, you know, the Bloodline or Sammy and KO. Same thing with the Street Profits again, who are just kind of sitting there. Like, if we had an extra tag team championship, we could be doing a lot of stuff with it, like, uh, like, like them too. But uh, I, I did enjoy, I did, did enjoy the visual again. 
Well, that's the interesting thing. Think about like a year ago, we were talking about how barren the tag team division was. There were no teams. Every time one was created that was interesting, it got broken up. And we were really criticizing um, the entire tag team division. What Triple H has done, one of, you know, we criticized him for the mid-card and lower-card women's booking. But one of the best things he's done is heavily feature tag teams, develop them, put them yes. front and center, create new ones across both shows, SmackDown and Raw, to the point where what you just said is true. It is now starkly obvious that they have to split these tag team titles. Like it, it's one thing, you know, Roman Reigns is the undisputed champion. It worked just because Roman was so freaking dominant. But now that the division, the tag team division is so deep, the deepest it's been in WWE in a long time. You're right. They need a tag team title on each show more than they have in a long time. And teams like Indusure, the Street Profits, as we mentioned earlier, Alpha Academy, Viking Raiders, Ricochet and Braun Strowman. These teams need to all the, the be broods. getting involved in title pictures. The yeah. Brawling Brutes. Yeah, exactly. You nailed it. All Judgment right. Day. You know, there, there's a lot here. The Usos still. You know, like yeah. there's, there's so many good tag teams right now. Maximum male models from an interesting, you know, fodder standpoint, low card fodder to be beaten. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of teams on these brands right now. And th that's positive. Triple H has done a great job building them. Yes. But now you got to use them in a smart way. And they don't have a way to do it because there's only one set of tag team champions. All right, Chris, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly, which means we are halfway through the show from a segment standpoint, but we are getting to by far the most important one right now. That is the WWE Night of Champions Ultimate Preview. We are going to break down all seven matches on this card, along with what happened across SmackDown and Raw leading into those matches. We will have predictions for all of them, and at the end, we will give a pre-show expectation grade for Night of Champions. Let's kick things off with the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther, defending against Mustafa Ali. On Raw, Ali was in gorilla position, and he was kind of at like a loss for words while cutting a promo. He said he's been dreaming about an opportunity like this, which he's not come close to achieving yet in WWE. Just as he was getting into a groove and about to like go through the promo, Brock Lesnar stormed past him, stopping to point and say, get a life, kid. And Ali just kind of like sauntered off, frustrated that he got interrupted. Now, I liked where Ali was going with this. And I loved Lesnar kind of like throwing out that line as a piece of shit heel. I do think it was lost on some that this was a bit of PTSD for Ali because of what happened at Money in the Bank in 2019 when Ali was about to win the briefcase and Lesnar entered, freezed him on the ladder and ultimately won the briefcase himself. I just wish they went back to Ali after the segment so he could have finished his promo because he posted the rest of the promo on Twitter. And just, I'm going to play it right now. At the end, think to yourself, how the hell was this not on television? Um, so earlier tonight, I was trying to say something, but I didn't really get the chance to say what I wanted to say. So I'll say it now. Um, I don't want to continue pretending to be something that I'm not. I mean, my whole life, I've dreamed about doing something great, about being a champion. But when I look back at my career, I haven't even gotten close to being any of those things. And you've all seen it. It's been, it's been failure after failure, and this is why no one believes that I even have a chance in hell at defeating Gunther and becoming the Intercontinental Champion. But for some reason, I still believe I can. I know I can. 
Because I'm still Mustafa Ali. I'm still that guy that was the ultimate underdog that would never stay down. I was the heart of the cruiserweight division. I was the guy that pinned a reigning WWE champion. That was me. I was I was doing that while I was breaking down barriers and shattering stereotypes. That was me. And Night of Champions takes place in Saudi Arabia. And there's going to be kids out there that look just like me, that have a name just like mine. They need to see the real Mustafa Ali. And I need to see the real Mustafa Ali too because I need to finally look in the mirror and be proud of the man that's staring back at me. So I'm laying it all on the line. At Night of Champions, if I can't be great, if I can't be a champion, then I don't deserve to be here. This Saturday, either my dream finally comes true or my dream dies. And if it's going to die, then I'm going down with it. Match made, right? Like if you put that on TV, that promo, boom, you have a match, you have a storyline, everything's done. Instead, a fraction of the audience is going to hear that or even see it. And we have a match that instead just feels thrown together at best. How can you do a career on the line story without fans knowing about it. I'm just, I'm floored by this. Uh, again, I did like what we got on Raw, but if we had gotten this as a follow-up instead of one of the 18 check-ins to Cody Rhodes, it would have been even better. No, what it told us was, you don't need to take Mustafali all that seriously. Brock Lesnar interrupting and saying, get a life kid, just told you what they think about this. Mustafali is extremely talented, but it's out, but... He's getting the opportunity for the shot because of the matches in Saudi Arabia, but don't worry, he's not going to win. Like, that's the message that was sent through Raw. The message that's sent through his promo is a lot different, and they just didn't care to go for it. You're right. How the hell did they not put that on TV? They didn't because they don't have that high of expectations or thoughts on Mustafali, apparently. That's, that's, that's the only way you can read the way that played out. Right, that's the only rationalization for it. Because, I mean... Look, Gunther, I think you have to predict him retaining the title. That's Gunther, right? And it's Mustafa Ali, right? A guy who Spoiler. wins all the time and a guy who loses all the time. So, you know, it makes no sense. But it is in Saudi Arabia. I believe, you know, scanning the card really quick, Ali is the only Muslim and the only Arab, uh, you know, in terms of nationality or in terms of uh, heritage um, on the entire card. So you're playing to that audience to some degree. So don't you want to put your best foot forward for that type of match? He said it himself. There's you know kids that are going to look at him and say, that could be me. Well, don't you want to build that on TV? Instead, all you've done is you had him win a battle royal, which, you know, it's not the same as actually going out and like winning a gauntlet or a contender's triple threat or you know, something like that where you're getting a pinfall victory. They had him earn the number one contendership through happenstance. And now you've given no build. You cut him off with Lesnar on the only opportunity that you had at all for the next week to actually build to the match. And the guy cuts or had planned to cut a significant promo and you don't put it on television. It's just really frustrating because if that was on TV, we'd go into the say, hey, you know what? Pretty hyped for this match. Is there any chance Ali could win? There is not. <laughs> so I, I I'd love to was. think there was. I, I'd love I'd love to think there is a chance. 
I know you do. You are a huge Mustafa well, Ali guy. Like, I, I'm a huge. This. I'm a huge. Give people like him opportunities, guy. And he is really talented. Right. He but can him, talk him, and he can wrestle. Sp- yeah, him specifically, though, like you've mentioned him a lot. And it's just I've never bought into it because the company has never given me a reason to. And that's not his fault. I just I know what they think of him. Did you ever watch made did evidently you, clear here? Did you ever watch 205 Live when he and Cedric Alexander were at the top of the division? That's about the only 205 Live I watched. Yes, that was extremely entertaining stuff. Promos storylines, matches. I mean, those guys can freaking go. Now, Alexander can't really cut a promo. He's good in the ring, can't really cut a promo. Ali can do both. That's my frustration. No, I, I agree, but that was so long ago. I, know. I was at I was at that WrestleMania 34 uh when he had that match. Mm-hmm. Um pre-show match on the card. It was great, but just just there hasn't been much since not his fault. Just he's tried. He's yeah. tried like hell with a lot of these promos and everything like that. And you've always kind of had that hope that the corner may be turning. And then they do something like this and you realize nah. Is this the least likely title change? And how surprised would you be if this actually happened? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not just on I'm the not show, not just on the show. I mean, on WWE television. And I mean, I guess Logan Paul over Roman Reigns is the least likely. But other than that. Yes. The likelihood of this has to be among the lowest in a long time. Correct. Yeah. There is not a part of me who thinks there's any chance of this. Maybe they'll surprise us. But just to clarify for everyone, both of us predicting Gunther to retain the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, The SmackDown Women's Championship, Rhea Ripley against Natalia, is a Raw match. So on Raw, Ripley interrupted that Cruz promo I mentioned earlier. She promised to make an example out of Natty by ending her legendary career. And that's the build. We got this. We got the backstage interruption with Natalia a couple weeks ago. There may have been an attack. Last week, there was, I think, with Natty wearing heels to the ring. And that's the build for this match. Um, It's perfectly fine for Natty to get a title match at Blood Money in the Sand. She's a favorite over there. Uh, She's been doing these shows since the very beginning. It's just a way to get Ripley a win, kind of like Vega was. So I'm fine with it. Rhea Ripley retains the title. More than anything, I'm interested in what the hell they're going to do with the SmackDown and Raw monikers on the title. Then who actually wins the match? Then then, then how this match goes. Yeah. Right. That's what we still need to figure out. Yeah. Rhea's winning this match. It's a Saudi show. Like you literally knew like, oh, Saudi show coming up. Boom. Here comes Natalia. (laughs) Just like on cue. That's what it is. All right. Sure. Whatever. It's almost like Canada at this point. Um, So the pick is Rhea. There's not much more insight, I think, to really give us. There's not. Uh, Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka. This being defended on SmackDown. Uh, on SmackDown, Asuka fought Zelina Vega. Not totally sure, but I think Asuka's new theme actually got another remix. Either that or the sound mixing on it was better, but it sounded freaking awesome when Asuka was coming to the ring. Vega was playing some uh, light-up helmet, playing with it like as part of her entrance in gorilla position, saying she learned from Backlash that she belongs among the elite of the women in WWE. She also handed a chancleta to a fan on her entrance, which I hope she now does like Bret Hart with the glasses every single week. Uh, <laughs> Zelina hit a 619 and a Meteora off the ropes for a near fall. They countered each other into really unique and cool pinning combinations. Vega countered the Asuka lock into another pin, only to get caught in the butterfly submission for the Asuka victory in six minutes. And this was the longest women's match of the entire week. 
six minutes. It was also the best one. Uh, Belair made the save as Asuka kept the butterfly submission in longer well after the bell. Belair then took about 10% of a missed attempt, which I can't tell if that was supposed to be how it went, where it missed her, or if it was a botch and she was supposed to get it all the way in her face. But nevertheless, that's what happened. Commentary explained two different times that, that Asuka had been experimenting with chili peppers in her mist to make it more dangerous, which let me tell people who may not know. In Japan, each different color mist has its own characteristics. So this also explains Belair's extreme sell of it last week. So I liked that they doubled back and actually gave us the explanation. Vega, in some ways, actually looked more competitive here than she did against Ripley in Puerto Rico. I wish the match got 10 minutes because I was legitimately left wanting more of it. And half of this was during commercial. The best part is both women came out looking stronger than they did going in. But I really liked what we got on SmackDown with all of this. Very good match, Asuka and Selena Vega. I, I like the helmet thing that she wore to the ring. I'm not exactly sure if her gimmick is Puerto Rican or video game character now or anime. They kind of merge them all together. But but the match was, was really fun. The Bianca missed stuff like, okay, you telling me that? that different mists mean different things. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know that. And most people didn't know that. And I, I credit commentary for like explaining right away what it means. But like, I kind of would have preferred like teasing it ahead of time, like showing Oscar creating it or something like that. Give me some like spooky vignette of Oscar in the kitchen, like cooking up some more mist or something like that. And then we get it as opposed to just like, wait, why is Bianca acting like that? Oh, chili peppers. Okay. Like that was just, it was weird. And it, it's, it's, it felt like doing something after the fact, as opposed to building this up. Um, and so it was just kind of whatever. All right. As far as a prediction for the match, I would love to come out here and, and tell you, Asuka is going to win the title really for multiple reasons. One, Belair needs to lose the title. Finally, it has to end this title reign, which has largely been shit. Okay. Not so much her, as a wrestler or the work that she's doing in the ring, but the storylines have been boring, repetitive. Uh, She just absolutely destroyed damage control one on three for a large part of that. Outside of the Becky Lynch feud, her reign has been extremely weak. Asuka has been reestablished now twice, first when she initially returned before WrestleMania, and then now as this heel, murder, clown, Kana, you know, gimmick that she has. And she should be getting victories. She should be winning titles. I do believe there is a legitimate chance that Asuka beats Belair for the Raw Women's Championship. But I'm not going to predict it because every single time I think, oh, now is when Belair loses the title, she retains. I thought it was going to happen against Bailey in that stipulation match, which would have given her an excuse. I thought it might happen at WrestleMania, which just would have made a lot of sense to reset things especially with that draft upcoming. We didn't know necessarily that was going to happen, but it would have made sense for them to do it that way. And here, I think now Asuka's doubled down on being a heel and she's misting her and the mist we know is dangerous. So it makes even more sense for her to be able to beat Belair. But they haven't given us that reason where Belair's sight is damaged because of the mist or, you know, Belair gets up on Asuka a little bit at one point where you say, oh, now maybe the opposite's going to happen on the premium live event. I just don't see it. So I'm expecting the continued LOL Cena wins booking for Bel Air. I think Bianca retains. But if I was booking the damn territory, 
I would have Asuka win this match. Look, it's it's been very clear under Triple H that long title reigns are his thing. You know, this didn't start under him, but you're about to hit 1,000 days with Roman. Gunther is is close to passing the longest intercontinental reign, uh, or at least the longest we've had in a long time. Bianca is the longest uh, reigning women in, woman in the modern era. Like, that's very much a thing, clearly, that Triple H likes. So when the loss happens, it has to be a moment. Mustafa Ali is not going to be a moment against Gunther, for example. Asuka over Bianca could be a moment. But you know where it would have been a moment? It would have been a moment at WrestleMania, not in Saudi Arabia. So the pick is Bianca. I think Asuka can, could, and maybe should win. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think it's happening now here. It could have and should have happened earlier. At WrestleMania. So, yeah. So I, I, you know, I think it's possible. I think it's very unlikely, though. Uh, so let's move to Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus. And, you know, credit, there's seven matches on this card. Three of them are women's matches, which goes back to really what we were talking about, where the mid card and low card is being booked like shit and getting no time. But the main event stars in the women's division, not only are they getting time, they're getting premium live event matches. And here we have three of them. So and and, and, actually, let, me, and, and let me jump in on that. Point yeah, too, because when WWE first went to Saudi Arabia, remember, the women couldn't go, couldn't wrestle, whatever. And WWE was saying, hey, it's going to take time to make that happen. I'm not saying women's rights in Saudi Arabia are great or better or whatever. But it is notable, yes, that WWE has been able to get more women's matches on this card this year specifically compared to where it was when the Saudi thing started. Still very much hate that this happens, but I just wanted to acknowledge that. No, that it's that it's worth acknowledgement that... Thing. It's worth acknowledgement that they're delivering WWE is delivering on its promise of putting the women more front and center on these shows. Doesn't change the politics of the region or the country, nor the way women have been treated historically there. But in a wrestling context for these shows, it is fair to note that more women are wrestling. They're wrestling more important, legitimate. Let's not forget the first women's match where two women covered head to toe with T-shirts on top of their bodysuits in like a six minute match and it was a shit match, whatever. Now there's two titles and Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus online. It, it's night and day, it is. But again, that's booking. And before, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And, and before that, remember, we got the women's evolution, revolution pay-per-view. On the first one, Because right. they weren't allowed to go to Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Because yeah, they couldn't go. Yeah. So like, it's fair to note that from a wrestling context only, yes, progress is being made. Doesn't necessarily change everything else that's happening. Anyway. Becky and Trish. On Raw, Trish tried to get Adam Pierce to institute a no-touch policy for their contract signing. He declined. This opened to hour three, with Becky entering and immediately signing. Her hair was back to that bright orange-reddish classic color. Trish had a really striking entrance. They're now going full lights off in a silhouette for her. Stratus put herself over and talked shit as Lynch straight ignored her with her feet on the desk. Trish said she figured out Becky, who's her own worst enemy. Stratus pointed out it was actually her first ever contract signing, but it would be Lynch's last. Becky countered that Trish is scared. History will forget her and the fans will remember her for being better than she was. And Becky is better than both versions of her, the real version and the one that fans remember. Lynch said, thank you, Trish, saying she's everything Becky never wants to be. And then she dropped another banger line. I actually cut it this time. 
Because you're vapid, I'm passion. You're trashy, I'm soul, heart, and fashion. You're cold, I'm hot. I'm it, you're not. And so you can, you can stab people in the back. The difference is I will punch you in the face every single time. There was more, I cut it off. She said Stratus could only dream of having her career while she's done stuff that gave Lynch nightmares like barking like a dog and losing at Night of Champions. Then she dropped, welcome to the big time, bitch. Woof, woof. Now coming out of succession on Sunday night, Chris, I could only think of Hugo <laughs> saying woof, woof at the end of the episode. But the, the <laughs> reference from Becky yeah. was Vince McMahon literally making Trish bark like a dog in the middle of the ring back on the Attitude Era. And I tweeted that video. So a little bit of supplemental content for you. Head on over to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast to see exactly what she was referencing. I come out of this proclaiming again that Becky Lynch is the best female promo in wrestling history. I also thought Stratus was fantastic here. I know some don't like her delivery, consider her to be a boring promo, but it comes so naturally to her that it usually hits with me and it did here as well. Still, Becky absolutely ethered her here. I never thought WWE would reference back to Trish on her knees barking like a dog for a man. But that's Trish, dude. You heard her in the interview she did with me here. She's cool as shit, and she understands the importance of her history and things that she did in the realm of women's wrestling history. In the end, this was a really strong build for a match that has been delayed multiple times due to injury and storyline changes. I liked that they didn't get physical, saving the animosity for Night of Champions. They focused on the promo battle, which is where they excel. They're the best in their respective eras. Like I said, Becky, the best of all time, as far as I'm concerned. But I loved this segment. This was one of the best things we got on Raw Monday night. Yes. Also, those those glasses were amazing. Like, <laughs> l- like they're literally fingers and you're like covering your eyes but looking through your fingers. Like, I just, it's gr- it was a great memeable image. But to your point, this promo was the exact, it, it showed the exact difference between being able to between having good lines and delivering good lines. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I've been on that side that just hasn't loved Trisha's promos. Not that she's saying anything wrong or that it's not like that. It doesn't make sense, but it's more just, there's a bit of a lack of a little lack of confidence around it compared to Becky, who you believe believes everything that she says. And I loved it. It wasn't, this didn't get back to, caddy stuff or doing this stuff this was like a face stepping up to the heel and being like i'm gonna kick your ass and i love faces like that so this was becky back at the top of her game like when that ended i was like oh yeah this was the becky lynch Mm -hmm. that main evented wrestlemania like this is the one that we've we've haven't quite gotten back in a while so it fired me up i loved it and and i'm really excited for the match now it felt like the man was back. Like we've been complaining for a while and a lot of fans have that, you know, Becky, that the forced heel turn didn't work. I thought it did. I liked what they did with her, but then coming out of that, she just doesn't feel important. All the other women are getting featured and she's not, even though she's still the biggest name in the entire division, which is true. But this felt like, Mm -hmm. okay, they have plans. It felt like almost, you know, Rhea Ripley is going to have a nice long title reign. Becky's going to be the one to beat her. Like, I felt that in this segment. Agree. Totally agree. 
Now, regarding this match and this feud, you know, it could continue. You know, there is a argument that can be made where Trish cheats and, you know, somehow gets over on Becky and they go to Money in the Bank. You know, it's, it is an England show. You want a big women's match on there. A lot of the women are going to be tied up in the Money in the Bank matches themselves. SummerSlam is not that far off. You could do this again at SummerSlam. I just think this is kind of done. I, I don't really see why you need another match after this. Trish has been involved for months. Credit to her for doing a nice long run and showing up on TV basically every single week. For me, this is a situation where Becky beats Trish. Is it on the show we would have loved it to be on? No, I would have preferred this at WrestleMania or SummerSlam or Money in the Bank or something like that. But I think Becky gets the win. Trish goes away. And, you know, perhaps that she comes back for next WrestleMania season. I could see something like that. I don't think this is a scenario where you do some type of cheating or heel bullshit and have Trish beat Becky. So my pick, my prediction is Lynch over Stratus. That is my pick as well. You figure Saudi Arabia, the big payday, that's kind of the end of that. And like you said, credit to Trish for sticking around and doing a lot more than we thought. We, we thought it was going to be a WrestleMania one-off. Um, so uh, I've enjoyed her being back, honestly, and she still is one of the most entertaining people on the roster, on the women's roster. Um, so I'd, I'd love for her to continue to stick around, but I wouldn't be surprised if she doesn't. Um, the pick is Becky as well. All right. Now let's move to the triple main event, which is what WWE is referring to these matches as. And let me make something clear before we do this. There's no such thing. You can get away with a double main event, but when there's three, you're forcing it, okay? There's no reason for Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar to be considered a main event when it's night of champions and there's a title that's gonna have an, an inaugural champion and then a major tag team title match on the show. I digress. Okay, I, I was, so I, I kind of wanted to, I always wanted to mention this because you say double main event a lot and I don't believe in double main event. I, I there there is the main event, the last match that like that is what is determined to be the main event. It's it's it really goes back to what CM Punk said on the Colt Cabana podcast way back in the day, which was like, oh, it's double main event, you and the Undertaker and blah blah blah. Like no, there there's only the last match. Like that is the main event. Not 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 to say it's going to be the biggest thing or the best thing, but I don't believe in double main events, and I certainly don't believe in triple main events. <laughs> uh, as laid out here. Well, I, I don't have a problem with double main events because it, there, there's very real possibilities and situations where you can have two matches of equal stature on a card and both deserve to be built. Let's not, let's remember, it's a marketing play. That's what double main event is. It's saying this show is so good right, right. that there's two matches that could main event any other show, but we're putting them both on this card. That's really what the point of this is. So I believe in double main events coming from the world of combat sports historically, mostly more MMA than actually boxing because boxing is usually one fight cards that have a lot of undercard underneath. Yeah. But when it comes to MMA, especially when women's MMA was coming up, Ronda Rousey being uh, an example of it, they would have a huge men's match as the main event, the final match, but then they'd have like a huge women's match, Ronda Rousey usually being in it as the co-main. And they promoted it as a co-main for the reason I just explained, but also because they were saying, hey, we have two matches on this card that have equal stature and both deserve your equal attention. One's going to go after the other, but they're going to be back to back at the end of the show. When you do a co-main event or a, a triple main event, double triple main event, 
in wrestling, theoretically, they should be the last three matches on the show in some order, some succession. But that's not what they do. They just tell you, we have three or two really big matches on this card, and we'll put them in whatever order we so choose. One of them is going to be the last match, which we know is the main event. Now, if these are the last three matches in succession, I'll lighten up a little bit on this. But again, it's much more believable that you can have two matches of equal stature. When you say three, it's just not believable. And given this is Night of Champions, where all the titles in the company are on the line, by the way, the United States Championship is not being defended. Neither is the WWE Universal Championship, but that's supposed to be the gimmick of the show. So when you you have a show called Night of Champions, and you have an inaugural champion being decided, and then you have your heavyweight champion, Roman Reigns, going up against the undisputed tag team champions, and then your third match is Cody Rhodes-Brock Lesnar, which is a rematch from last month, guess what? That's not a main event. If you wanted to say double main event, I'm fine with it. It's still a little BS, like you're kind of explaining. That's fine, but it's definitely not a triple main event. There's no way. I hated it when I heard it. I couldn't believe they did it. I agree, I agree. All right, so let's move to the triple main event. (laughs) Cody Rhodes against Brock Lesnar in a fight. Now, we have a lot of breakdown for this and the other two matches that are still to come. So Raw started with a cold open as Cody was walking into the arena, only to be immediately attacked and brutalized by Brock, thrown into a table, a stack of kegs, and then into a garage door. Lesnar then picked up a keg and slammed it into Rhodes' wrist and arm while it was up against the garage that led to him screaming in agony. Later backstage, Adam Pearce would not address a rumor that Cody broke his arm. Lesnar, after storming past Ali that we mentioned earlier, dropped Rhodes' line and said the Night of Champions match was off, but he wouldn't let the fans down. So he issued an open challenge, which Cody answered with his arm iced in a sling as Pierce and referees protested. Rhodes removed it all. Lesnar immediately put him in the Kimura lock, screaming, you want to fight me? Fight me? Fight me? Fight me. Then he (laughs) released it and stomped Cody's wrist with Rhodes selling it really hard in the ring. Cody later threw a fit in the locker room with officials leaving. Pierce, even later on the phone, said Rhodes' arm was mangled and he wouldn't listen to any reason. Now, these were legitimate attacks in a really hot way to start hour one and hour two of Raw. They were similar to what Lesnar did to The Undertaker a few years ago, and it definitely worked for me. Lesnar's promo and the continued look-ins backstage, they were a smart way to keep viewers engaged the entire episode. It would have been nice if there were more developments from the look-ins rather than just Cody being angry, Pierce being confused, Cody being angry. Like it was just, it was the same thing over and over again. Not missionary position exactly, but pretty close to it. All of this led to a go-home segment. But Chris, let me get you in to talk about this before we talk about that. I liked it. I, I, I got I got a number of alerts before Raw. I'm signed up for the WWE texting and they're like, Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar are going to be together at Raw. Watch Raw. And then you open up with it immediately. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that because there's a lot of times Roman Reigns will be on the show next week and then you don't see him till the end of the show. And I just I'm always annoyed by that. So credit to starting the show off with this. It was a it was a surprisingly hot start to the show. I kind of always roll my eyes at, oh, someone attacked somebody, injured a limb. How's it going to impact the match? But it's a trope. It's it's a storytelling trope. I get it. Like, I'm ultimately like, okay with it. Um, And I appreciate it continuing to go back and check. We haven't, there have not been a lot of Raws and Smackdowns recently where they're telling a story throughout the show. 
like they used to when Triple H first took over. That's kind of what they did. Checking Wait, in. Hold on. Out. They did it last week. Stage stuff. They did it last week. Well, I, yeah, I'm just I'm, not that it hasn't happened. I'm just saying like that type of thing. We haven't gotten it as much. OK, I mean, we're getting it. But like not there was a time where it was every single week beginning. you're saying. OK, fair enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so to, to, to do that last week, to do this checking in throughout the show, it makes me stay tuned. Like I don't change the channel. I, 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 I keep paying attention to what's going on. I, I really liked the way they kind of laid that whole thing out. Yeah, I thought it was extremely well executed for sure. Now, Raw ended with Triple H invading Cody's locker room for a chat. He said Rhodes had to get medical attention because even Triple H can tell the arm is broken. He said no one's questioning Cody's toughness, and he's simply afraid of being told he won't be able to compete at Night of Champions. Triple H recalled Cody being out for nearly a year with the torn pec and said he can't waste more time like that in his career because he's getting older and it's getting shorter. Rhodes then turned it around, asking Triple H what he would do in the same situation, demanding that he go to Night of Champions and fight. It ended with Triple H sitting, smiling, and then patting him on the leg and the shoulder. Now, first, I love the concept, Chris, of, hey, you know, if I don't go see a doctor, then you can't medically disqualify me. Like, imagine if that actually worked in real life. That'd be fantastic, right? Now, this is simultaneously really dumb babyface shit, but also really gutsy babyface shit. But the way they executed it with Triple H's respect growing for Cody because he's finally seeing him step into that company-on-your-back role, it had implications beyond just wrestling at Night of Champions. I did wish that they had more directly referred to Triple H blowing out his quads and still competing so that the younger fans could have understood what they were referencing, but it hit for me, and it was the type of segment that can be built upon with layers and layers going forward, depending the direction they want to go. I'm extremely torn on this, and it's not the specific segment. It's more the message they're kind of sending with Cody. The the stuff we heard about, you know, Cody after he lost to Roman, why was... Look, he hadn't overcome all that much in kayfabe. And so he was going to have to go through that. And so this is an example of that. He has to go through Brock Lesnar breaking his arm and this stuff happening and, and, and all this kind of stuff. But the problem is to me, like, we just we just did it. I don't care about a, f- I don't I just I don't care and I don't buy into a fake Cody Rhodes arm broken storyline when we literally had the torn peck storyline that was real last year like you can't recreate that you can't do better than that it was a five-star match from Meltzer because of just everything that played into that so like it feels like they're trying to retell the Cody Rhodes story like in a way they would almost prefer to tell it and I'm just like I just get more annoyed that Cody didn't win at WrestleMania this year because it's like he had an incredible story it just wasn't exactly the story they wanted to tell and so now they're going to tell the WWE well, version of the story. Let's get back to that in a moment. Okay. Cause there's one other thing I wanted to bring up before we actually get to predictions of the match and like the storyline and all that type of stuff. I saw a couple sure. people. Tweet- uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. Just in terms of the st- I, when I see, Oh, Cody Rhodes, kayfabe broken arm. I'm just like, this, it's not hitting me because we just had the, a much better version of it last year. Right? No. Right. And that's what I do want to get into, but we had people tweet us. Wondering if Triple H's smile was like nefarious, as if he's responsible for Lesnar going after Rhodes. I took it as like a proud papa grin, not like an evil genius smirk. I don't think Triple H is interested in becoming like a consistent on-screen character. And 
As a former wrestler who's unable to get physical, I'm not really sure that would make sense either. So did you take it in any way that like, like that, where it could be him turning heel and giving Cody obstacles? Or do you think it was purely more, hey, I'm a I'm a proud papa, proud, you know, GM, COO of, uh, what is he, CCO of WWE, and you're doing what I need you to be doing? I, I did take it as that, as, as the proud version. Okay. If he could get physical, if we didn't know he had to retire, he had you know something in his chest, mm-hmm. I would have been totally behind the idea of, oh, Hunter is going to turn on Cody and we'll get a Cody versus Triple H at SummerSlam or something like that. Like, I'd be totally into that, but we know it can't happen. So if Triple H can't get physical, I don't know how I feel about him being an on-screen authority figure because the whole uh, on-screen villain authority figure, right. because the whole point of that character generally is that they can eventually, you know, get their comeuppance, you know, like Vince did and stuff. Like that. And it, maybe Triple H can take a bump or two, take a punch. I, I don't know, but I, we're not going to get the full on Cody Triple H that I think we always kind of wished we could. Mm-hmm. So you're right. I I did take it as he's challenging Cody and Cody's passing the test by saying, no, I'm going to still do this. I think that's what he wanted. Right. Now, let's get to the storyline aspect that you talked about. So normally you get a beat down like this and a storyline like this on the go home show. And it tells you the baby face is going over at the premium live event. We talk about the telegraphing of that all the time. In this case, though, Chris, I believe, or at least hope, that they're creating an injury excuse for Cody to tap out to the Kimura lock, because despite all the hero booking that Cody gets, and he gets a lot of it, it is one thing to only have the use of one arm when you beat Seth Rollins with weapons inside Hell in a Cell, and everyone knows the injury is real, as you pointed out. It is quite another to beat a former UFC heavyweight champion and the man who ended The Undertaker's undefeated streak with one arm in a storyline that you know is fake. There is no way in hell that Cody should win this match. It wouldn't bury Lesnar necessarily, but it would be outside the realm of reality and far too ridiculous to be believed, even in kayfabe. Lesnar is not Rollins. He needs to win this match and the right booking is a rubber match, probably not even at Money in the Bank, but SummerSlam because if his arm is broken or mangled, he needs time to recover. Cody over Brock here would be for me a legitimate jump the shark moment for this white meat babyface character. So because of all of that, I am predicting Lesnar to beat Rhodes. Brock is winning this match, yes. Especially because he lost the last one. You know, if if Cody hadn't won via roll-up or whatever. or not uh, The, the not pin-catch type of that, conversion. That yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Counter. Because of that, Brock's already got a loss. He's not taking a second loss to a dude with a broken arm. <laughs> Brock is winning this match, which is fine. You know, you, you play these things out. I honestly just... Like, I felt like you didn't need to to do it this way. Yeah. Like I, I get like in story. Oh, it's, it's more that Cody has to overcome to eventually beat Brock. But like, I'm more interested in the story where Brock just kicks his ass and you're like, Oh, I lost to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Oh, I lost to Brock Lesnar. I have like a lot of work to do here. I have to just get better. Not just 
bad people are doing bad things to me. I lose via, you know, Solo Sokoa at WrestleMania. I lose to Brock because I have a broken arm. Like, technically they're hurdles, but they're also like excuses. And so I would have preferred just Brock kind of kicking his ass. And maybe that's what happens here. Like, I, I, I have wondered how this match plays out. I don't think we get Brock Cena where he just. I was just going to ask you that. And then he wins. I was just about to ask you that. Does I he think, just absolutely murder him? Yeah, I, I, I don't think we get. That. Well, I guess this is probably not going to be the main event of the show, right? We're going to end with Roman and the tag team. Match. Uh, either the imagine, tag right? team match or the World Heavyweight Championship. I think we could end with that. It's possible. So it's so it's it, it, it's possible that Brock just nerfs him. I don't think it'll happen. I think it'll be more like the Daniel Bryan match where Brock is kicking his ass for a long time and it's kind of uncomfortable. And then something happens. Brock runs into a pole or something. Cody gets a little bit of a comeback, but then Brock like returns to form and then, and then crushes him. So that, that's how I think the match plays out. What if it's not suplex city, but it's Kimura city. Like, Almost exactly what happened in that in-ring segment on mm. Raw. We're like, Cody, he gets in the ring. You're pumped up. Oh, my God, he's actually going to go after him. What a badass. And then Brock literally just grabs the arm and taps him out. So he doesn't get his ass kicked. I mean, I mean, I, he doesn't get his ass kicked. But he still gets squashed because he has an injured wing. And it's so vulnerable I that think- all Lesnar needs to do as a as an MMA guy, a legitimate guy who knows how to submit people in real life, all he needs to do is get a hold of that arm and it's over. Right. I think we get a Cody Hope spot. I just, I okay. think they're going to give it to us at some point. All right. That's my guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Let's get to the second part of WWE's triple main event. I'll call it their triple because it's not ours. Uh, the tag team championships, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn defending, not against the Usos, but Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa. On SmackDown, Reigns and Sokoa opened with Paul Heyman, but KO and Sami wasted no time interrupting. Reigns demanded acknowledgement, suggested they relinquish the titles. Owens was about to speak, but he instead threw the mic and the titles. So Sokoa stepped up and Reigns focused on Zayn, saying the only regret in his career was wasting time with him. Sammy countered that his regret was not turning on Roman sooner. Zayn called out Reigns for his greed, leading them back together, promising he won't get what he wants this time because he's not as good as them and they're not as good as the Usos. So the Usos appropriately attacked out of the crowd, leveling the champions, Roman refused to dap them up because he told them not to come to the ring. Infuriated and all in his head, he quickly turned his body and bumped shoulders with Solo. They briefly squared up and stared at each other. Then backstage, Reigns went wild on the Usos for not going by the playbook and preventing him from saying what he planned to say to Sammy. Roman was straight up furious and he came across like Ice Cube to me. Yo, Jay, I got something to say. Solo stared daggers in his back the entire time, his being Roman's, not the Usos. Now, outside of it taking 10 full minutes to get fresh content on SmackDown, the next 10 minutes were a home run. The concept of Roman forcing himself back into Sammy's life and not the other way around was intriguing. Zayn calling him out on that was really smart. The fact that Roman is still legitimately hurt and feels betrayed by Sammy, granted it's only been a couple months, but the fact that they aren't letting that go is really cool. Then, seeing Reigns get completely unhinged and deranged that's the next level of the Tribal Chief gimmick. Once he loses the heavyweight title, that's what we need from him consistently. And the Roman Solo stuff on top of it was a really nice cherry. It's really funny how Sokoa takes any minor slight or slip up 
as if you've threatened to murder his entire family or something like that. He has zero chill whatsoever. I thought it was a super successful opening segment and a really, really good build to this match. I loved it. And, and to your point, like they almost like kind of acknowledge like, hey, Sammy, you and I kind of haven't hashed things out since Elimination Chamber. Like mm-hmm. you kind of went off and did your Uso thing and I did my Cody thing. And we never really kind of got back to this and where we're at. And Sammy being in the con, not only the 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 like confident position, I'm going to stand up to you, the confident position of I've got these championship belts. Like I did what I said what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't fear you anymore. Uh, I, I loved that dynamic between the two of them. And yeah, Ro- Roman does a good job. For as unbeatable as he is, he'll give you those moments of fear or uncertainty to give someone else some 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 rub, you know whether that's uh, whether that's running out of the ring or something like that or the solo thing. Like mm-hmm. it's not just that he bumped into solo and kind of looked at him; it's that he kind of panicked after he did that. He did, yeah. <laughs> like, like he kind of he kind of hurried out of the ring and was like, "I don't I don't know how to react in this situation. I'm just gonna kind of get out of it." That was just really really good stuff from him. Awesome, awesome segment. So also on SmackDown, we had Rey Mysterio and Santos Escobar against the Usos. LWO backstage, they commiserated about the Usos' greatness with Escobar, telling Rey that they are a Hall of Famer and a future Hall of Famer themselves, which puts them right along with them. When the Usos were warming up, Heyman told them the Tribal Chief forgave them, so Jimmy assumed that he'd be out there with them, which I don't know why he would assume that when Roman's never gone out there with him ever. Uh, But anyway... Heyman said they should have no problems beating the LWO and getting back in Roman's good graces. So for the match, Ray had an extended run of offense after a hot tag, included a code red on Jay. He came back with a pop-up neckbreaker. Escobar tagged for a huge topic on Hero, Hurricanrana out of the corner as well. Jimmy countered a 619 with a super kick as Jay added an Uso splash for a great false finish. They went to hit stereo splashes when KO and Sammy distracted with Ray hitting a 619 and Escobar nailing a delayed splash on Jimmy for the LWO victory. Reigns was obviously frustrated after the bell. He prevented Sokoa from leaving the locker room. He said something, but the sound was off and we actually couldn't hear it. So I have no idea whatsoever what he said. And then SmackDown went off the air. Now the crowd was on absolute fire for this match. Easy four stars, A minus for me. The booking made perfect sense with the Usos continuing to fall into that kind of pit of despair while losing the trust of Reigns. LWO got a win, a huge win for them. Not just that, Escobar is the one who got the one, two, three. Those are great developments. Mm-hmm. Plus, KO and Sammy looked really smart for not sitting on their hands like most baby faces would. They gave the bloodline a taste of their own medicine, and they continue to be booked as formidable champions and really strong baby faces. I thought it was the perfect main event, particularly because it followed those great opening segments. And again, they have done a great job building this match. And commentary did a great job right when the bell rang, when they were like, the the downward spiral for the Usos is continuing or something like that. Like they immediately told you like, this is the story here. And it's it's continuing to get worse for the Usos. Crowd was really hot, just like you said. Um, Good stuff all around. And then Roman being pissed off kind of backstage, Sammy and KO getting over on the bloodline again. Just really, really, really good stuff. I should also note that Heyman confirmed the 1000 day championship reign, the celebration for it will be held the SmackDown after Night of Champions, but it still boggles my mind that he's not defending the title on this show and being celebrated on day 1000 when they have an event on that day. It just, I don't get it, Chris. It doesn't make any sense. 
So on Raw, Heyman was the second segment after the Cody attack. He assured that he had nothing to do with Brock, but still put Lesnar over against Rhodes. He also explained that he was on Raw via invitation to hype what's being advertised as a triple main event. Heyman then promised a title change with KO and Sammy entering and him scurrying out. You know, I love Paul. Like, Heyman can almost do no wrong for me. But this was wholly unnecessary. It made sense last week because he concocted a scheme against KO and Sammy. But just showing up to talk when he's not on Raw, it just didn't need to happen, even with this being the go-home show. I know they explained it, but they're already not following the draft that they said. I'm okay with Heyman. Heyman's different. Heyman's different than a wrestler. But it just, it was unnecessary this time. Yes, but it was again, hey, I'm coming over here to talk, even though I don't need to. And just, yeah, it was unnecessary. And I just, but I just couldn't think, oh, I know he didn't get drafted technically, or maybe he did. He, he did. It was but, Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa with Paul Heyman. Yeah. So like, he's just showing up on Raw again. So we're just like, we're, we're doing this again. <laughs> it's rolled my eyes. Well, this, yeah, it wasn't great either. So not good. This is the thing. Like last week he had the visitor badge and there was a reason for him to be on the show in kayfabe. He concocted a scheme that was the storyline for the entire episode. And they needed him for that scheme to work because otherwise, why would Judgment Day and Imperium work together against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn? Didn't really make any sense. So again, last week, it made sense. They gave a reason for it. This week, he's just like, I got invited back. He talked for two minutes and that was it. So there was no reason for him to be on the show and him being on the show didn't accomplish anything. The other person is Shotzi. Very unique situation with someone getting injured very thin women's tag team division. I can make excuses for those two. But on Raw, Heyman had no reason or purpose to be there. And it was unnecessary. It took it took time away that they could have given to those freaking women's tag team matches or anything else. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, Sammy said he was done talking. So Kevin dedicated their victory over Reigns and Sokoa to the Usos, calling them the true pillars of the bloodline. This was in contrast to Reigns dedicating his win with Sokoa to the Wild Samoans two weeks ago. They mentioned Imperium. So the group came out, surrounded the ring. Matt Riddle made the save. Imperium dipped out, then decided to attack with Riddle getting the best of Gunther and the faces standing tall. Riddle later got a promo package showcasing his MMA training. It gave us a look at him that was perhaps the first time, Chris, that we got a look at Riddle that was deeper than him just being a funny stoner. Like both of these served really well to build the babyface character is going into the main event. And given what transpired after this, they're trying to make Riddle more serious to go against Gunther. I think, perhaps even, at Money in the Bank next month. Maybe the most interesting Riddle thing we've ever gotten from a character standpoint. That's it? Fair. Okay. That's good. That's true. Uh, so KO, Sammy, and Riddle fought Imperium in the main event. This was 15 minutes. Uh, Gunther and Riddle had an extended sequence Again, I'm pretty sure to set up an intercontinental title feud. Owens hit a frog splash on Giovanni Vinci. Zayn caught Gunther with the blue thunderbomb. KO stunned Vinci. Gunther countered Haluva kick into a grounded sleeper, but Riddle broke it with a floating bro. Riddle then eliminated Gunther outside over the announce table as Riddle responded to a running clothesline with an immediate Haluva kick as Owens added a swanton bomb, pinning Vinci for the win. Red hot main event with the right team going over and the right person taking the fall. The finishing sequence was absolutely nails. And again, KO and Sammy look like a legitimately incredible tag team. Extremely worthy champions going into a huge kayfabe test against Reigns and Sokoa. Yeah, very fun. And Imperium's a group you can put in this spot. Like, 
Guther's the real star here. So, like, you can do Imperium as a group and they lose in this situation to tag team champions, to main eventers, Mm -hmm. and they're both formidable to be in that spot, but also uh, can lose. And you look good, and it matters when they lose. So, uh, match was fun, good finish, all that same stuff. Um, I'm still just, in general, kind of eh, on Riddle, just in total. But as far as the tag team match and kind of moving stuff forward... Uh, it was good. Now, in terms of a prediction for this match, you know, it's very rare that Reigns loses anything. But if he is going to lose, the circumstance for that is in a tag team match where the other person takes the fall. I believe he lost. Was it uh, John Cena and Kevin Owens against him on that uh, end of year SmackDown? Yes. So I, yes. I, they, they lost that match. Is that correct? The bloodline? Yes. Okay, so those are the only situations where Reigns obviously loses. And yes, it's a big match, okay? You have one undisputed champion going up against a pair of undisputed champions. Could you make a case for the title change? You could because of Reigns' dominance. The idea of him holding four championship belts, though, and two (laughs) of the divisions of the company, even though the World Heavyweight Championship is also being introduced, two of the divisions of the company being centered around one guy It's just really tough to buy. It is. And I would also clearly hate the idea of like Reigns and Sokoa winning and then Raw doing exactly what they did by creating a new championship because now he has them and no one can beat him. It's just all disgusting to me. Uh, They've done a great job, WWE has, elevating KO and Sammy, not just into good wrestlers, which we always know that they have been, and friends and all that, but a legitimately great tag team. Their matches are incredibly entertaining, They've defended the titles already successfully, and they are formidable as a team and as a pair of champions. WWE does need to figure out a way to split these tag team titles. And I thought it was going to happen at Backlash. We might get some type of, you know, cover where, you know, uh, both teams hit finishers and one arm is draped over one guy and another arm is draped over another guy. It's a double pinfall and they split the titles. I thought something like that might happen at Backlash. Since it didn't, I don't think that's going to happen here. This is a situation where Reigns gets taken out, thrown over the announce table, brutalized outside, and somehow, someway, Zayn and Owens combine to beat Sokoa, perhaps even because the Usos try to interfere to help the bloodline and fail, which continues further development of their exile or excommunication, perhaps even, from that faction. So I have the champions retaining. I think it's the right decision. We'll see what happens. Chris, what about you? I am also picking the champions retaining, and it's what you said. I think the Usos interfere and maybe accidentally cost Roman and Solo the match, which is fine. I just, it, it, like, if in my ideal scenario, I would have had this for only the SmackDown titles and Roman and Solo win. You get a split. Sammy and KO can take a loss. Roman gets another belt. Yes, but, you know, you can do something and get it off and pretty quickly, maybe even fight the Usos or something like that. I don't know. Um, You got to split these titles up. I think Sammy and KO would look better, honestly, with one title. Holding the blue and red titles just looks weird. It worked on the Usos because they were in a big faction and Roman had two belts himself. It looked fine. It just looks weird that Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn are walking around with these two blue and red belts. I wish they could just have one, but 
it's not the world we live in, and this is for the undisputed tag team titles. And I think they retain. Also, we didn't talk about it, but I, I guess it's kind of been mentioned, but Sami Zayn going to do a Saudi Arabia show and Kevin Owens, like that typically didn't happen before. So So you weren't on that. you weren't on the portion of the show where I addressed it, but I did address it previously. Um, but you were just off. So long and short of it, the long and short of it is Sammy was simultaneously banned by Saudi Arabia from going and joining WWE over there because he's Syrian. Mm-hmm. And Sammy refused mm-hmm. to go because his government, uh, Syria, had major relation issues with Saudi. Those have been largely resolved, those issues. Therefore, the ban of Syrians coming into Saudi Arabia has been lifted, which allowed Sammy to go. And I presume that because he's a champion and so important to the company, he decided to go. KO always refused to go in solidarity with Sammy. So that allowed him to go, the fact that Sammy was able to go and decided he wanted to go. That's the long and short of the entire thing. Uh, We can get into all the political aspects of it, but it would just be taking a lot of time. You can read up on it, though. Just Google like Mm -hmm. Syria, Saudi Arabia relations, and you can read plenty about it. Now let's get to what I consider to be the true singular main event of Night of Champions because it is a heavyweight championship, not just that, a world heavyweight championship being decided for the first time with the reincarnation of the title, Seth Rollins from Raw against AJ Styles from SmackDown. Before we get to the match, let's talk about what happened on Raw and SmackDown. First, on the blue brand, we had the Grayson Waller effect with AJ Styles. Waller got a totally overboard introduction for the first edition of his show on purpose. It had the same general desk, fake palm trees, social media setup as it had in NXT. Waller put over Styles, who put over himself, criticizing Rollins for being on a movie set and not focused. Waller then did the same heel move that he always does, saying Rollins would win, and they ranted in each other's faces to end the segment. On one hand, this is what I've been asking. Waller to sit back and let people talk rather than constantly interrupting them on his show. Except here, there was absolutely zero juice or animosity until literally the final five seconds. And then once that animosity started, the segment just ended. We didn't get to see Waller flash his personality. Styles didn't say much of anything to get me hyped for the match. Unlike the Rollins interview last week, which really got me hyped, for Styles, it was just like, hey, I'm a good wrestler and I deserve this opportunity. So I thought this was a large disappointment as the lone thing that we got for Styles. And I have really high hopes for Waller on the main roster, but they did nothing to showcase his personality here. It felt like they were writing this segment and they got 70% of the way there. And then like there was a power outage. So they're just like, all right, this is good enough. It felt like that final 30% wasn't written or was cut out or something like that. And they forgot to finish it. Yeah. First of all, like I'm a huge Grayson Waller fan. Like NXT, he's one of my favorite guys. I think he has all the potential in the world. This is an extremely weird way to start him. Not only did the segment lack juice and all that, but like Grayson Waller was there talking about Seth Rollins. He was just there to promote another match and not him, which is an extremely weird way to kind of mostly debut a person on the main roster. So that just, that concept didn't click. And like the, the the big line to piss off AJ Styles is they're going to ring the bell and say the winner is Seth freaking Rollins. And AJ got like pissed at Grayson Waller over that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like yeah. that was just, and you're right. And you're right. And AJ barely said anything. Look, AJ's not as good a promo guy as Seth, but yeah, like 
I, I after that I was like, oh, AJ Styles Grayson Waller feud. All right. Except I was not it's not. Thinking like the World Heavyweight Championship match. But it, except it's not because later on SmackDown, Karrion Cross had a promo package where he sported new mm-hmm. like slick back hair. Scarlet had more of a light brunette blonde type of look. They both looked really good. Um, he said justice must be blind, and then showed a tarot card of AJ Styles calling him Allen. This followed up the Waller segment where there was a tweet that showed on screen saying TikTok. So first of all, the promo made zero sense. Making even less sense was why you would put Styles in a match of this caliber before he contends for the title when he was just in a tournament. He doesn't need to be built any further. He won his bracket. <laughs> why is he fighting Karrion Cross on the go-home show? It does not make a shred of sense why they did this in this moment. If you wanted to do this after he loses at Night of Champions and have Cross kind of target him for that, okay, then we're on to something here. I didn't get at all what they did with Styles on SmackDown. Not me neither. All right. So then over for Raw, we got part three of the Rollins interview where he addressed Roman Reigns, saying he loves him but doesn't like him, calling it still a brotherhood. Rollins said he has no respect for Reigns anymore as a person or a champion because he's been poisoned by his own ego, which has led to him becoming selfish by taking opportunities away from the rest of the roster. Rollins said his goal was to become the world heavyweight champion so he can forget about Roman. Rollins talked about being a catalyst for change, pushing the industry forward by winning the title. Then he put over Styles as special and on his level. Then part four of the interview came even later with Rollins repeating that it's time for a change. He said, since he was never pegged as the guy, he realizes it that he has to force himself to be the guy. Uh, we got home video footage from him laying with those stuffed wrestling buddies as a kid. I had those as well. Rollins said he's going all in on this title. We also got spliced footage of him holding up titles from NXT and then him younger and older on the main roster. My take on this is the same as it was last week. This was executed and delivered perfectly. The logic is sound. Rollins is being presented as the star we've been wanting to see really through the entire pandemic. And it sure feels like he's being primed for a significant run as champion. Plus, like I said last week, we actually got a real wrestling sit-down interview. Not just one segment or one show, four parts across two shows. I believe every individual segment of this Rollins interview is longer than every on-screen wrestling interview we've seen across WWE and AEW for like four years now. Legitimate questions, long answers, the whole thing delivered, and it got me hyped on behalf of Rollins for the match. Yeah, it was one of the best sit-downs we've gotten in a long time. I think because it wasn't just a straight one-on-one necessarily. There was highlights, there was music, there was B-roll. It it felt like a full production and that added a lot to it as opposed to that like awkward silence when you're waiting for somebody to to, to answer it. Um, I love the the backstory between the two of them. That was really cool. I don't remember if they've shown that before or not, but having that footage of AJ saying to Seth, this guy's 18, he's the future of the business. That was awesome. Fine. And I, I liked every part of it. The only thing was... They talked a lot about Roman Reigns and much like the Grayson Waller, AJ Styles segment had me thinking, all right, AJ, Grayson Waller. This had me thinking for a while, all right, Seth Roman, like, are we doing Seth Roman now? And that's kind of been my whole issue with this World Heavyweight Championship thing is that there's a lot of talk about Roman, a guy who's not involved in this, and it still continues to paint him as the biggest hurdle in the company 
and automatically makes this World Heavyweight Championship feel like very much a B or even a C title, depending on how you look at Roman holding two belts. That was a little bit odd to me. It just made me ex- it made me more excited for Seth Roman than it did for Seth AJ. I don't know if we're going to do Seth Roman at SummerSlam or something, or right? Survivor Series. I don't know. But they've laid a lot of groundwork for that to happen. I think at the expense a little bit of this new title that they're about to award. Well, that's the interesting thing. So, you know, on one hand, Roman and Seth is a long-term story and relationship that's never going to end. So it's not like talking about it was out of place necessarily. And Reigns being champion, and, and yes, I know technically he's holding two titles. It's one belt at this point. Like I think everyone needs to kind of get it out of their head that this is now going to be the third heavyweight championship. It's the WWE Universal Championship. That's one title with two belts right now. It's what's happening. Just is. Um, and then there's it, a second. Technically, mm. No, no. Technically, it's two. You're right. It is technically two. So for the last year and a half since he's merged these titles, they have not been defended individually. They've been together the entire time. I'm just saying, like, if you want to be like a dick, you know, and anti-WWE and say, oh, it's the third heavyweight championship, fine. That's your prerogative. It's the second. There's one guy who's one champion. There's another guy now, soon, who's going to be the other champion. So to have that person discuss Reigns when they have a relationship with him, to me, was okay. On top of that, it's acknowledging, hey, there's this other guy with the titles, which is the reason why this is being created, because he does not work both shows, and he does not defend the titles consistently. So this new title in juxtaposition to that guy and that other title or those other titles, this one is going to be defended all the time. It's going to be used to move the industry forward. And I, as the winner, which I think I'm going to win as Seth Rollins, am going to be a very different type of champion than the other champion representing the company. I thought it was used not so much to talk about Reigns and say, this is a secondary title, but more to say, I'm going to be better than him. I'm going to be a real champion. He's a guy who's more about his ego than the actual title and representing the company. And for that reason, I had no issue with the continuous references to Reigns. Now, to your point, it seemed like it was setting up Rollins Reigns. I believe it is setting that up. I think that match is going to happen this coming uh, November at Survivor Series. Last year, they went away and they did war games. Whether that returns or not, we don't know. Triple H at the time said it was not necessarily going to be every year. But even if they do war games, there are other factions in WWE and plenty of time to create even more factions to go ahead and move towards that. You could have a Judgment Day match against a group of people. It doesn't even have to be another faction. So you can have war games, you can still have champion versus champion matches, and you can put it all on one show. There are some who believe, you know, our expectation here is that we're going to get a Roman Reigns-Cody Rhodes rematch. And Cody, in that rematch, will win the title, whether that's at SummerSlam or whether that's at WrestleMania next year. But let's not forget, we still have the Jey Uso storyline in one hand, and we have Seth Rollins-Roman Reigns. Rollins, right now, is the only man who has defeated Reigns in singles competition during this title run. He won via disqualification last year, or sorry, two years ago. I don't remember the event, but he did it. Uh, Roman... I uh, was choking him, refused to release Royal it. Royal Rumble. It was, at, it was at the Royal Rumble. Okay. Seth wouldn't tap. Roman wouldn't release it. I think Seth even grabbed the ropes and Roman wouldn't release it for a rope break. And he got a DQ and Reigns, and Rollins actually beat Reigns. 
So that could happen at the next WrestleMania or SummerSlam or whatever the case. Let's SummerSlam only if Rollins loses, but they're different brands. So forget that. WrestleMania would be the only case for that to possibly happen. Or he wins money in the bank if he loses this title. My point is, I do not think the Reigns focus of Rollins promo was to diminish the World Heavyweight Championship. I think it was for direct storyline reasons going forward. Like, I get it. Like, that all makes sense. I've just, I've hated this World Heavyweight Championship focus on Roman since the beginning. In 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 kayfabe, it would have been a lot easier for them to just say, we're, we're, that is one title and we're going to create a new title. As opposed to, Roman's just too good. Nobody can beat him. So we're going to have to make another title. And But and again, like, that even that's that exaggerated. I've just kind of, I just feel like that, like people took a, a bad line from Triple H in that one promo where he announced it to mean that's the reason that they're doing it, where he explained further on in that promo as they were doing this entire thing, hey, we're creating this title because the guy doesn't defend it because he's on one brand, he won't be on the other. So we want to give the right, other brand a title just, and we right. want it to be defended all the time. I just don't like this idea of like, this we are the company and this guy in the company is more powerful than us the company and we just gotta abide by that now that's true they did say we've talked about it a million times it's just i was surprised to that they leaned so heavily into roman in this promo instead of just i want this belt i'm gonna beat aj uh i'm gonna be a, a working champion all this stuff it was just i was surprised by how much roman talk there was instead of just like instead of just about this. I mean, they got to it. It was four parts. You know, they, they did cover a lot of ground. I was just, uh, it was overall really good. We're kind of, we're kind of going in circles. Yeah, no, it's fine. It no. was overall really good stuff. I was just surprised that they run a Roman stuff. That's all good. Let's get to the prediction here because, you know, we have been going long today. And look, maybe I am falling for everything hook, line, and sinker. But you cannot have Rollins get beat for like three straight years then go over Logan Paul at WrestleMania and go over Omos at Backlash, get built up for an entire month, have two weeks of extended interviews for this match, then compare that to Styles just returning around the WWE draft and getting a short in-ring segment with Waller that ended on a thud. And tell me that Styles is going to win this title over Rollins. I, I cannot believe that. So either this is the ultimate swerve and a swerve, by the way, that would piss off a lot of people, or it's being somewhat excruciatingly and heavy handed from a telegraphing standpoint. I lean the latter. And while I do wish this was built more evenly over a longer period of time, Rollins does deserve a proper coronation for the work that he's been doing over the last few years. And by the time Saturday's show ends, he should be getting it. Yes. Seth is winning this match. I don't think I know technically AJ can win and move to raw, but you're not drafting AJ Styles and his whole group to SmackDown to then award him a raw championship and move him over to raw. Um, Seth is deserving of this title. He's been on a, a very good role. He hasn't been a world champion in a very long time, mm -hmm. and I think it'll be a good match, but I have very little doubt in Seth Rollins winning this. Now we have predicted outside of this, which is a title that's vacant and we're crowning an inaugural champion. We have not predicted any title changes across Night of Champions, which is of course a title focused show. What if you had to rank them, let's say one, two, three, are the most likely titles to get changed Saturday afternoon? 
most likely titles to change. I'm looking at it here. I'm going to say Raw Women's Champion number one, Bianca. Yeah, agreed. I think that's the most likely, if, if I had to pick one. Mm-hmm. Second most likely, undisputed tag team belts. Roman winning those, Roman and Solo winning those. Because I just think there's no way Rhea's losing to Natalia. Zero chance. And there's no way, there's and there's zero chance that Mustafa Ali is beating Gunther. Gunther. So you'd put that one third, Ali and Gunther. No, I'd put Ali Gunther last. You think? No, I'll put it third. I'll put it third. Because there's I, no way, Rhea, there's no way Rhea, Rhea Ripley's losing to Natalia. It's just, it's yeah, no, zero percent chance on that. Um, I'm actually, I kind of want to flip what you had. So I agree. The most likely by far is Oscar beating Belair. Not a question. I think second, I know it's weird. Trust me. I think I'd put second Mustafa Ali beating Gunther because of the location and because you can like, right. it would be really stupid to end Gunther's undefeated streak and his long title reign. Although he's already passed all the, you know, monuments, I believe from a day standpoint that he could actually reach. Um, it'd be really stupid to end it on like an O'Connor roll or a pinning combination trap or something like that. But you could give him the win back literally Monday night on Raw. Like Ali wins, Gunther def- decides I want a rematch immediately, and you give him the title. Or with Seth Rollins, let's presume, winning the World Heavyweight Championship, he's going to need a big, bad challenger. Not necessarily right away, but perhaps for SummerSlam. And you may need to alleviate Gunther of the Intercontinental title if you want him to be in a signature match like that so quickly. So I think there's a slightly better chance that Ali beats Gunther than the tag team titles get changed. So I'm going to go Raw Women's Championship, uh, the Intercontinental Championship 2, and then the Undisputed Tag Team Championship 3rd. I'll add this about the Intercontinental. We, since I actually hadn't looked it up in a while. Gunther is about nine, less than 90 days away from Hockey Talk Man. Oh, I thought he passed that already. He didn't? No, uh, he, he he has him at 346. Oh, plus. shit. Okay, I may have to change uh, my <laughs> I may have to change my order then. <laughs> so, yeah, he he's actually fifth behind Hockey Talk Man, Pedro Morales, Randy Savage and uh, Don Merka. How far is the record after yeah, Hockey Talk? Those are all in the 80s. Uh, 30 days. Oh, you're saying there's multiple spots between him and Honky Tonk still? Yes, he yes, he's currently as the fifth longest. Oh, oh, oh. Behind Honky Tonk's number one, and then Pedro, Randy, Don, Gunther. Honky Tonk is the longest reign, but also the most recent long reign. All those other long reigns were before yes. him. That's what it was. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Right, right. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. So from a reign length standpoint, he'd be catching up on the way there. But in terms of since a date, Honky Tonk is the next one that he needs to, to beat. So Correct. yeah, 90 Correct. days. That's interesting because it does take you to around SummerSlam time. I'm going to still keep Gunther second on that list. I just really don't think those tag team titles are being changed, but interesting conversation. I'm glad that we had that uh, to kind of wrap this up before we get to the end of our ultimate preview, Chris, which is our pre-show expectation grades. Now for all of you are getting overheads, you will be able to vote and share your pre-show expectation grade Saturday on Twitter around noon Eastern. We'll post a poll. We will discuss your pre-show expectation grade on our WWE Night of Champions Instant Reaction Podcast, which of course will come Saturday as soon as this show goes off the air. But Chris, when it comes to grades, I always let you go first. So what is your pre-show expectation grade 
for WWE Night of Champions. It, it's it's weird on a card this afternoon of Champions card where you have so many title matches, and yet we predicted none of them to change. We predicted no real surprises, and while the Saudi the Saudi shows have been quite good, almost every one dating back a couple of years now. I'm at, I'm at, I guess, a, I'm right between B plus A minus for this. And it's like, I think these matches are good. I just, there's nothing like, it's going to jump out to me as like, what's the moment we remember? I guess it'll be crowning the World Heavyweight Champion. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say, I'll say low A minus, like a 90 out of 100, because we are getting a new champion there at least. Mm-hmm. Cody Brock should be interesting. And every match on this, I think, will be pretty solid. So I'll, I'll go low A minus. I was going to say, don't do this to yourself again. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with a B again. And then I, know. I was going to have to criticize you. Uh, but here's the thing, because, you know, There's we no bad bunny on this. There's no bad bunny. Here. True. Uh, you know, when we do these pre-show grades, historically, the last couple of years, we've, you know, been in that B, P, B plus range for a lot of these B shows. And then they've just completely exceeded our expectations more than any these shows in Saudi Arabia, the blood money in the sand shows, we go in thinking, oh, you know, they're we're probably not going to be that good, even though the card looks solid. And then we come out and we're like, A minus or A. Like, what was it? Two years ago, Crown Jewel was one of the best pay-per-views of the entire year, we said for WWE. Yeah. So I think something similar is going to happen here. I do think there will be a title change that surprises us, which is why I asked that question. I can't, I can't imagine they're going through the entire show with all retentions and then one new champion ground for a title that doesn't have a holder right now. Uh, I do think that there's also two non-title matches, both of which are marquee matches, Becky Lynch, Stratus, Brock Lesnar, and uh, Cody Rhodes. So I'm right there with you. I'm going to go a little bit higher, 92 out of 100 in A-. minus. I do think this, this has a chance to be an A show. It would take a title change. It would take the World Heavyweight Championship match being really damn good and some solid booking across the board. Um, you know, I don't think we're going to get surprised with Ali beating Gunther, but I don't know, man, that promo Ali cut. I wish it was on TV. If it was on TV, I might've just said, you know what? (laughs) That is my number one prediction just because it would be completely out of nowhere and a total shock. But nevertheless, I'm excited for the show. I think the card has been booked uh, well from a match standpoint. I would say this, Chris, the four best built matches on the show are the quote unquote triple main event and Becky Lynch, Trish Stratus. And the other three just are not. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's the best way to kind of put it. All right, that is our ultimate preview for WWE United Champions. Again, instant reaction podcast coming Saturday as soon as that show goes off the air. But we are not done here yet on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. We have one segment remaining, and that is the last word. So DJ, take the need to win, just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a sp- popping in a second. That's why we always save the best cut last to make the scratch and mix for it like fresh cut grass. Now, technically, we have two parts to this last word. I'm just going to kind of go through the first one real quick, and then we'll get to the main one. Uh, Jackson emailed us. He said, I'm a big fan. Love your guys' analysis of WWE and NXT. Where is Bray Wyatt? And do you guys have any predictions on when he might return? You guys are awesome. Keep up the great work. So this is something that I actually put on our WWE news and notes for our getting overheads over at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. A reminder about that. I happen to love the number... Five. So be sure to sign up. The long and short of it is there's multiple issues with Bray, including a physical one. So he's nowhere close to being cleared right now, at least not last week when I checked. 
I know there were hopes initially he'd be ready around SummerSlam, and it would make sense for that to be the plan as there's a lot of storylines that are still kind of being set and, and you know, operating through Money in the Bank in July, but there's nothing immediate in terms of a Bray Wyatt return, at least that I'm aware about. The real last word question, though, for you, Chris, Samantha A. emailed us, okay, you guys talk about succession all the time on the show and on Twitter. Who ends up as Waystar CEO in Sunday night's finale? Talk about an ultimate preview, Chris. We're giving you a succession finale ultimate preview right now. I saw this question come in Sunday night. I've been thinking about it a lot. So I'm going to go first. I'll give you a little bit of time to think. But I actually came up with like percentages for each of the candidates here. So there's some spoilers from Sunday night's penultimate episode. No, no, wait, wait, wait. We, no, no, you got to you gotta pick one. We're not I'm going to. I'm here. going to. I'm going to. I'm going to okay. break down, though, the options. And then I'm going to give my pick, just like we would for uh, a triple threat match or a fatal four-way or a money in the bank. Same kind of concept. So there are spoilers, though, from the Sunday night penultimate episode of Succession. If you haven't watched it yet, don't listen to this. So I have Kendall at 50%. He's clearly showing signs of having learned from his father, both coalition building, the ruthlessness, to even kind of going after custody of his kids just to spite his wife. The question is whether it's too little too late for him. But Kendall has three different paths, convincing Mencken to side with them, winning the board battle straight up, or being the US CEO chosen by Madsen. He's dominated the living social, or living, living social, living plus reveal. He's earned Madsen's respect with that eulogy. He has to be the leader in the clubhouse. Shiv, I have at 20%. Her only track is through Madsen. The pregnancy is not doing her any favors. She's burned bridge after bridge, including with her brothers, her husband, and Greg. She just is the worst, and she has no backbone, which now Matson and Mankin saw because she was willing to just give up her principles and go along with it. And then there's the total lack of experience on top of the entire thing. Shiv's the worst. Tom, I also have a 20%. He's a bootlicker, but he's a convincing one. Mankin clearly knows he called the election for him. Greg has ingratiated himself so much with Matson that it has likely benefited Tom to some degree. He's a safe bet with experience who also had Logan's approval. And if you remember, Matson said he wanted someone like-minded in that way. So his chances for me are just as good as Shiv's. Greg, I have at 9%. This would obviously be the shocker of all shockers, but you gotta wonder, what did Greg drink that Matson made him drink? His blood, maybe? Is it possible Matson just goes full puppet and puts Greg the effing egg into the CEO chair? To me, the worst choice from a logic standpoint. It'd be like making Bram the king at the end of Game of Thrones. It's one of those situations where like, sure, it's a swerve, but it's not a logical swerve. And the show is heavily based in reality. And last, Roman, 1%. His candidacy went down the drain this week. You could argue he had the inside track with Mencken, plus the chances of the board choosing him over Kendall. All of that's now gone. He's shattered into pieces on the eulogy. The video is being passed around. He's being made fun of. Mencken, the deal didn't work. And then he literally went out into the street to seek abuse. He gone. So those are the odds. My pick is Kendall. Because like with the bloodline story, succession should end where it started. Just as Roman eventually needs to lose to Jay, Kendall has to take the CEO chair and fill the role of his dreams that his father thought he was grooming him to be ready for, only to learn he wasn't ready yet. Succession began with Kendall failing on the hostile takeover. He's been by far the most consistently competent of the children. I suppose they could go with all the children being left out and they lose Waystar completely, but then they'd all walk away with billions. So that doesn't even really teach them a lesson. So again, Kendall is my pick and I give it a 50% chance. 
My th- first of all, we should have done a succession podcast. I know we, we got know. the finale here. We really missed the boat on that. Um, I tried to do it as fast as I could here just because I wanted my, to get a lot in. Yeah, my thought follow my pick following the election episode a week ago was I thought the election was going to tank Waystar Royco. I thought the fake numbers were going to tank Batson. And then Nan Pierce was going to come in and swoop <laughs> up and buy both companies. And that was going to be that was and merge them all together. That'd be and that great. Was gonna be like the nice old lady. The nice old lady wins at the end and all the kids are sad. Quote unquote nice, but, by the way, because she was a shark, too. But go ahead. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Th- this this week's episode took a different turn. It looks like a whole hell of a lot has to happen in the finale. But ultimately, I think it's going to be Kendall. Of all the kids, it has to be. He was the one this whole thing started with. He was going to take over at the beginning. He was sort of written, then crossed out or underlined on the letter. He has been the main, he has been the number one main character of the show. And it only makes sense that if it's going to be one of them, it has to be him. I like the Greg theories. They're fun, but they don't feel like they mesh with the reality of the show. It should be Shiv, but she just cannot get out. of. Wait, wait, why should it be Shiv? Why should it be Shiv? She is, she, she, Often is the she reads the situation better than anyone, but then completely blows it. <laughs> like there were there were there are moments throughout the show where you're like, oh, she's like the only one who like is competent, and then she'll make some stupid decision and, and blow it all, and that keeps happening. It's Kendall. It's got to be Kendall, and 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 I think that'd be a perfectly fine way to go. They don't need to. They don't need to give us a big swerve to try to pop the crowd and make everybody talk and stuff like that. I think you go with the safe choice, the one we know the most about. And that's Kendall. Well, that's what I was saying. The game of Thrones esque swerve unnecessarily would be Greg. The appropriate pick is Kendall. And if they did anything else, it would almost be overbooking like the, the finale. And that's not what succession is. It is a competent show in this final season, Chris. I mean, they need to land the plane, right? Just like we talked about uh, at WrestleMania with the Bloodline storyline with Cody Rhodes. They still need to land the plane here, but this has been probably the best final season of any TV show I can remember watching. I'm not saying it's necessarily the best show that I've ever seen, although it's yeah. in that territory. But the final season, it's banger after banger after banger week after week. Yeah. This absolutely goes in that pantheon of greatest final seasons. And it's because they truncated everything. They put everything into like a two-week span. Right. And so we're just constantly reacting to things in real time as opposed to months go by and they're on a new country and blah, blah, blah. And they would, it's always been about the character interactions, not what happens because of the structure of the show, but by structuring the show about everything being about what happens, a funeral, a death, an election, uh sale, all this stuff happening in the span. It's just been an electric final season. And I, I, when Logan Roy died, I was like, I don't know how the hell they're going to top that. And they topped it almost every week yeah. since it's been a great, great final season and his death was necessary for two reasons one he was never going to pick someone to take over for him i mean he sold the company right and and that's what he was going to do but he never would have chosen one so if you want succession to end with someone actually succeeding him then he needed to die for that to happen and screw up the deal and so on and so forth so that made sense for me the show kind of turned on the wake episode where uh kendall and roman were named co-ceo They come out of there, Kendall pulls Hugo aside and he just decides in that moment, like I'm gonna be what my father taught me to be. I'm gonna be ruthless. And he trashes him in the press and every decision that Kendall's made or every 
time he's been faced with the decision over the remainder of the show, he's actually either made the right one or had to make a tough decision that in the past he wouldn't be able to make. You have the living plus thing that happened. You have, uh, you know, standing up to Matson and deciding, hey, you know, we're just going to take the company for ourselves. And you had, you know, every like, like there's just so many examples as you go through the final episodes of the show, standing up and doing the eulogy and, and knocking it out of the park, um, creating the coalition and deciding I'm going to take this company for myself, even deciding to turn the election because Shiv stabbed them in the back. And you can see he was contemplating sitting in that chair the entire time. Like, I don't know if I can do this. It's not right. It's not right. At the end, he's like, I just got to do it because it's the position I'm in. And my father taught me to be this way. So like time after time after time, as you go through the end of the show, they are telling you a story where Kendall is developing into the type of person who can succeed his father. And it just makes the most sense in the world for him to be the guy at the end. I think the final scene is Kendall putting on some Jordans and an old baseball jersey and jumping off Hell in a Cell through the table just <laughs> to impress his father one final time. Yeah. R.I.P. Shane O'Mac. You didn't get the company, but maybe Kendall will. You know, it's funny uh, that scene a couple seasons ago where he does the L to the OG rap. He's in the type of jersey that yeah. Shane McMahon would wear. Yeah, yeah. We never got the Vince McMahon succession. Maybe Endeavor is going to buy. I waste our Royco at the end of the season. It's going to be boring. <laughs> it is, you know, it's something that I talked about in my old podcast. Yeah, we, we always talk. Yeah. I talked about it on my old podcast all the time. And my old uh, host of that show, I was the co-host, Brian Campbell used to always say, the storyline in WWE is Shane versus Stephanie versus Paul for control of WWE on screen. And they never did it. And here we go. At least we're wow. living it out succession style. So it's pretty close. All right, folks. That was this extended ultimate preview edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Not just... WWE Night of Champions, but Succession as well. As mentioned earlier, a reminder, we will be back Saturday as soon as Night of Champions goes off the air with an instant reaction podcast, but there is so much more still to come this week. On Wednesday, we'll be back with an NXT Battleground Ultimate Preview. Chris returns to the show on Thursday for an AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview. I mentioned the instant reaction for Night of Champions on Saturday. On Sunday, we'll be back with a AEW Double or Nothing and NXT Battleground Instant Reaction Podcast. That means this is a five-episode week. In addition, we will have bonus shows for you over on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Remember, I happen to love the number five. So please join us over there and sign up for that. Also remember, it's all about so we want you to leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And lastly, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, live shows this week on Twitter Spaces, and you get to vote in our pre- and post-show polls for all three events. WWE Night of Champions, NXT Battleground, and AEW Double or Nothing. It was an extended show. Chris and I went long, but we absolutely loved doing it for you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is now time for us to sign off and for the Silver King to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.